This podcast is brought to you by GeekNuck.com and their Intel Serpent Canyon NUC 12 that comes with an i7 and A770M and a compact little workstation. Support Moore's Law is dead and get $50 off by using the offer code MLID50. But also support Moore's Law is dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 10% off Vite Ramen or the offer code Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows keys at cdkeyoffer.com. You can also use DieString to get 3% off everything else on that website. And we'll talk about these supporters later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm having on a guest that I that I guess I didn't even really know I was interested in having on. But if I look back at the the history of Broken Silicon, I can honest to God say that like one out of five of the guests at least, maybe at least 20%, maybe a fourth, are guests that I never knew was a thing I would want to have on or didn't realize this was a type of job. Uh, this is the type of thing where I kind of knew it was out there, but knew basically nothing about it. But anytime we can have on an expert, you know, someone who actually does stuff with the hardware we argue about online all the time, not just for gaming, but in the, but in the professional fields where people are willing to pay 10 times as much because it actually is making them money. I think it's interesting because these professional uses of the products we talk about from day to day are the things actually dictating the decisions these companies make when they release products. Most of the time, it's not for gaming. It's for something where someone paid thousands of dollars so they could make something that will make them money. And well, that's what we're talking about today. But so please, guest, introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are, you know, what you do, what got you into that line of work, and really just as much or as little about yourself as you're comfortable saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, Tom. Um, my name's Vin Corigliano. I am the owner of uh, Avum Technology, uh, in, uh, which is in Melbourne, Australia. Now, Avum Technology is a company that specialises in um, professional PC workstation solutions for digital audio and music production. That's probably the best way for me to explain what the company does. Uh, digital audio workstations can also be called DAWs or DAWs. Um, I'm also the founder of DoorBench, which is, which was originally my blog site for um, just uh, writing about comparative um, DAW performance and, and how, uh, so I developed a couple of um, uh, DAW, uh, DAW benchmark uh, sessions that these are specific tests that allow us to test uh, the scaling performance of native DAWs uh, as the CPU architectures were mm -hmm. um, progressing. You know, so you know we went from the single core, uh, dual core, quad, and now you know we're up to the to the higher core counts now. So I've been tracking that since about two thousand and five. So we're in about the eighteenth year with DoorBench. Um, and I've been, you know, sharing a lot of uh, internal IP over the years and uh, with that. And 
Uh, there's a lot of reports online as well. I've handed over a lot of the comparative CPU um, testing to a, a, a colleague and test partner of mine who is uh, Pete Kane from Scan in UK. I mean, he has access to a far wider range of CPUs um, and he has early access to a lot of this stuff as well, which um, which comes in quite handy, especially that, uh, like, you know, I used to be able to get uh, preliminary hardware back in the, you know, if we go back 10, 15 years, I used to be almost first on the block with a CPU and the motherboard. Nowadays, that mm-hmm. that is not the case. So the advanced stuff is kind of reserved more for, you know, higher end integrators, um, and, you know, release partner type of uh, operation. So, uh, and that's, you know, Pete Pete's, um, works for a larger operation there in the UK that gets this advanced stuff. So I allow him to do a lot of the testing. I still do a lot of the development with the actual test sessions and um, mm-hmm. procedures. Uh, so that's, that's the short story of what I do. Um, and there's also a podcast as well, which I've, been running for about four years now, so I pull in uh, industry um, pioneers and, and uh, software developers, and we basically just cover the whole gamut of music technology and computer technology and all the related stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, and that was one of the things that actually made me quite interested in talking to you, especially on the podcast as well, is that... You know, it's very clear you you are a veteran. You've been doing professional work, building professional systems for a long time now. And that a lot of that involves speaking to plenty of people at Microsoft and Intel as well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're used to discussing the latest releases with professionals actually working at like Intel day to day, right? Yeah. Uh, look, you know, my contact with Intel directly, not so much. I have uh, some fantastic contacts at Microsoft, which is uh, cool. Mm-hmm. My, my co-host, Pete Brown, uh, is uh, uh, integral over there at um, Microsoft. To, he's like a, a middleman between um, the Microsoft development team and um, the media professionals like myself and also uh, mostly audio, but it's also crosses over into video, not so much gaming, but Pete's our middleman. Um, he's also the, the chair of the, the MIDI 2 Association. So any of the musicians listening in know what MIDI is, which is Musical Instrument Digital Interface. Mm-hmm. This is a protocol for connecting uh, instruments and controller keyboards and a whole stack of stuff. Well, you know, one thing, because I think I'm sure you're aware, um, you know, I do a lot of leaks of upcoming products from various yes. companies that usually, I mean, especially these days, the bigger I get, the more I do this, the more people I have to talk to. It, it involves really talking to like a dozen people sometimes at like Intel or AMD, because especially with Intel, I find, I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of gamers, like, you know, who are, make up the majority of this audience, like fail to, or maybe forget, um, and you really shouldn't forget this. It should be always present in your head when you're thinking about what a company is working on. That Intel is a huge company, and what one person knows may not be the same as a another person knows. No. Even on the same product, like Meteor Lake has come up recently. Like just because one person at Meteor Lake knows what the original design was four or five years ago, doesn't mean if they're working on the CPU side, they knew what happened to the graphics thing until recently and so like and and i'm actually starting to find that that's you know amd used to be like ten thousand people i think they're now almost twenty five thousand or something 
I'm starting to find that a little bit at AMD. That's where some of the confusion came with RDNA 3. Like, it used to be, yeah, one person would probably know most things about a product, but not anymore. They're just too many products. They're too complex. They're too siloed away now. You know, you're getting an AMD that's almost a third the size of Intel. They're not there yet, but you can see it's going to happen. And it's going to start turning into it's hard to know Maybe it's actually easier to know some of the things they're working on because of how many people are working on a project, but it's hard to know if it will turn out well or not ahead yeah. of time. Yeah. You know, look, a lot of uh, the larger these companies become, the more compartmentalized the the development um, becomes. So that that's that could be anywhere from you know audio um, application development, software development to uh, the operating systems. I mean, Microsoft is a huge. Huge oh, conglomerate. Yeah. People forget it, they're enormous. Yeah, and it's completely compartmentalized. You know, you've got, you might have five or ten different teams working on specific areas of the kernel, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone is designated uh, the owner of that particular <laughs> portion of the of the uh, of the um, uh, of the application code. And you know, if if they uh, make some decisions that could cause that has caused some uh, issues, it's, it's sometimes it's very difficult to actually get them to acknowledge that they've actually created a problem there. So, um, you know, I've had some indirect and direct uh, communication with uh, the kernel team with some issues that we've actually highlighted, and um, it's not easy. And and like you said, you might need to speak to four or five different people before they even. You can actually even piece something together, you know. You know, and let me put it this way. There's been leaks I've done where a story started with a set of information from one or two people. And then by the end of it, I'm actually telling the original sources that got me looking into something what's actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> like they they did it. They were like, well, I think this, I think this, that's not possible. I start asking other people. Then one of them is able to provide me with a more recent slide or documentation. And then I'm able to ask someone. And then I, the theory I come up with after talking to 20 people, I'll go back to all of the sources and go, actually, it kind of seems like this is what's happening. Whether you realize it or not, is that possible? Then that's where the final script for one of my videos will finally be completed is when some half of the sources realize it's it's not what it seems you yeah. know it, it really does happen yeah and, um, it, that, and that comes down to the compartmentalization and and uh i think they do that on purpose so that that that's oh, um, sure so that uh, you're you're specifically working on a very focused area of whatever you know whether it's a code or, or a kernel application level or even one part of a program and that's your focus. You don't worry about that. Anything else apart from that. The problem that I see with that is that when they have to join the, <laughs> when they have yeah. to connect all the dots at the end, and then things go squirrely, they're pointing the fingers in every way, except for themselves. To themselves. So that that's what I've found, um, and and it does frustrate me at times talking to, um, but you know even with the at the driver level stuff. Um, as soon as if you know i'll get put directly in charge with the the lead driver uh, developer and as soon mm-hmm. as i see owner on on the signature i'm like shit i'm in trouble here right because this guy is not going to acknowledge anything he's you know if, if he's actually responsible for releasing that driver in that state that it is he's going to sit down back <laughs> back pedal and 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 do some uh, as much ass covering as he possibly can and yep. that's that's yes. the experience that I have had um, 
And, and, and look, it could be even software developer stuff, uh, you know, uh, DAW um, bugs and you, you report them and all in, in good faith and and if you're landing on a person that's not direct or directly responsible for it and he has to take accountability for it, they, they're they going to sit there and push back, you know, that's not a bug, that's a feature, you know, mm-hmm. or, uh, type of uh, um, type of dynamic and... Look, I can understand it to a degree, but it's very, very frustrating from from uh, my point because in the end, I'm the first call for my professional uh, clients when there is a problem with the software. Um, mm-hmm. Not always, but a lot of times I'm the first call, especially when they've been talking to their support, uh, their support people from the dedicated companies and not getting any answers. And and look, there's been instances where someone's been run around for about you know, one or two weeks before they message me. I'm going, why don't you message me straight away? And I've gone, this is the fix here. And they've gone, yeah. well, why don't, why don't know they that? I said, because you're landing on some poor guy at a help desk who's got a, you know, a pre, pre-canned script. And if they, yes. don't, if they don't know the answer, they're going to sweat it because everything that they say is monitored. Um, and wouldn't it be yeah. easy to say, look, you know what, I don't have the answer. Let, let me get it for you. Right. How difficult. And I think a lot of, by the way, journalists in the uh, tech gaming space, you know, reach (laughs) out to AMD for a comment. I like it. I like the way you did that. Sorry. I like the way you did journalists. (laughs) Because I'm doing exactly the same thing. Anytime I mention a journalist or a review, I'm usually quoting, you know, in my industry because. There's no such thing as reviews anymore in my industry, but that's well. There's some good reviewers still, but I just—it's just—I think some people will like reach out to AMD, and they'll get a line from like an intern or a low-level guy that basically didn't answer their question and draw yeah. a conclusion. And it's like, yeah, the guy doesn't know the answer, and he didn't pass it up the chain. That no. doesn't speak for the entire company as some big thing. No, but, no. You know, I don't want to get into that whole thing right now. That'll probably be something I'm hinting at that I get to in a week or something. But anyways, though, you've been j- dancing around a little bit, though. You design or, well, you know what I mean, but like configure, build, test, and these purpose-built workstations with CPUs, graphics, audio components that aren't just meant to be powerful. They're meant to do stable audio, right? Which is a very different type of thing that involves latency issues and just bugs become so the thing you want to isolate out when you're designing one of these workstations. It's, it's It's quite different than building a normal workstation for just general use. And I mean, what... What made you reach out to me, though? What made you want to come on the show to talk about this, though? Well, I mean, I've um, look for many, for many many years. I, I was the the Intel leak type of guy as well. You know, I had um, I, I don't have the, the sources that you have, but I always used to monitor all of those leak sites, and I used to know every code name and what was coming. So when it's I stum- fun, though. I mean, yeah, it is. You know. So when I stumbled on your site, I've just said oh, he's a kindred spirit. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I've been monitoring um, the HEDT uh, area for, for a few years. So, and this is the HEDT area is the predominant platform for my professional clients. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that you can't build a, a, a very uh, solid professional workstation with what I call high-end enthusiasts. So they, let's say if we just use the, the Intel terminology, if we're talking Z 
series, right? Z mm-hmm. series chipsets and K. So let's CPUs, K series and X series, right? And and Xeons, that's but that's another um, probably a whole other chapter. But if we just stick with K and X series, now um, the X series for professional DAW use have always been uh, the predominant platform um, for not only the, the DSP processing, which is uh, the, the plugins, but also um, also for virtual instruments. Now, there's an uh, there's a uh, type of virtual instrument that is uh, uh, based on uh, sample playback um, used. Uh, you know that, that gets enormous use with uh, professional composers doing orchestral composition and that type of stuff. Yeah, you now, told me this before in our touch base call that, yeah. and this isn't really a surprise, but just to lay this out for everybody, you know, when you and they their orchestras are used so often in movies and video games now, but they will compose the music and simulate what it would sound like, right? Using a program first, say that's what we want it to sound like, and then they hire pay the thousands and thousands of dollars to hire all of these professional musicians to come into a room and actually record it right. Yep. But they use no. audio but workstations yeah. first to simulate it, right? Of course. But but um, it, it, depending on the budget, it, and not sure. necessarily they're going to be actually uh, transferring what you've actually created within the DAW mm-hmm. to, to the real players. Um, the sampling uh, engines and the sample libraries have become so sophisticated you'd have to be extremely good to be able to pick it you know so mm-hmm. uh, and these uh, professional composers have become so proficient in articulating um, those instruments whether it's a string part or, or uh, you know uh, brass or woodwind and they've become so proficient at actually articulating um, those the the dynamics of those instrument performances you'd have to be really good you know and mm-hmm. so Let's just say a, la- a large majority of what we're hearing, uh, orchestral-wise, in uh, TV and streaming, would would have no real orchestra whatsoever. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, when it comes to the larger production films and even like independent films, it would, you'd be surprised they would not have any real players. Uh, they, that actually that would be the actual what they call the orchestral mock-up, but it's not. It actually becomes the final final production um, in the larger films. Yeah, sure. You know, they'll they'll um they'll get someone to orchestrate it all out, write it out, and then they get the real players and um look, you know, it sounds incredible either way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll be surprised how much of it, it there is no um it, it's all virtual instruments that uh, a lot of those orchestral and films. What you're making me think of is like like behind the scenes of so many games. Um they will go and you know for this battle scene we actually hired this orchestra and then they'll show them playing and they'll go and we thought this was necessary to really get the full feel i'm just now realizing the reason that was in a behind the scenes or a making of a video game i like is because that was probably the one song they actually hired an orchestra yeah they probably hired the real orchestra the way the the rest and that's why they're talking about it i didn't realize probably because the rest of them they didn't you know yeah 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 and look and and so the workstations um we're talking mission critical. They have to be mission critical. They have to be running at extremely low latencies. Now, um, when I say low latencies, good um, instrument players, they will start 
feeling uncomfortable at around about a four millisecond round trip latency or six, no, sorry, about a, let's say about a six millisecond round trip latency. And when I'm saying round trip latency, uh, that's the input and output. So if once you start getting above three or four milliseconds or when you're actually playing the instrument and the input and actually when you hit the key and you're hearing something um, and then it has to uh, go th through the processing, has to go uh, and then um, and then out through the D to A as well, so to whatever you're listening to, once we start getting above that six milliseconds, people start getting really, uh, they can get uh, uncomfortable. So... Uh, to build workstations that can reliably work at those round-trip latencies uh, reliably is, you know, a bit of a challenge. I mean, we have to look. It does down, come down to component choice. You can't go cheaping out on anything, you know. I mean, you can build a cheap machine. You, you know, for years it was always the Mac versus PC. This is before mm. the AMD versus Intel time. It was always Mac versus PC. And and the consensus, you know, in the nineties was the, the that the Macs were super reliable, PCs were just basically garbage. And, and I'm thinking, well, how, what are you comparing it to? And they're trying to compare someone that would go to the absolute lowest common denominator to build a PC versus a Mac, where if you actually um, selected high-level components on your PC, whether it's power supply, motherboard, graphics cards, um, once you assemble those PCs, they're a lot more expensive than the bargain basement ones, but they were mm -hmm. equally as reliable as a Mac. And this is how I've made my living since 1995, is building solutions, PC solutions that were very, very reliable, that would work in these mission-critical environments. Um, and that was simply, it comes down to component choice, and there's a whole stack of R&D that we do as well, um, like some motherboards, for example, you know, DPC latency, which is... I, you know, that'll be something that the gamers listening in would be aware of, which is these micro latencies that um, can interfere with real-time audio playback uh, no. with the gamers. They feel it with uh, response times and that type of stuff, you know. And I, I'll give you a perfect example of DPC latency. Uh, Windows 10, and I'm trying to remember the version number because it's from the versions in 2018 to 1903 introduced massive DPC latency problems, massive. And we were freaking out in the audio world going, well, we can't use this. What's going on? And, and of course, you know, through my contacts at Microsoft, we're trying to drill down what the problem was. And no one was really looking into what or putting their hand up and taking any accountability for it until, and this is where <laughs> the story comes full circle, the gamers started complaining. Mm. Right? So professional audio, we're, we're barely a dot on the radar, Tom. You know, we're not even a blip, you know. We're gamers, that's that's a far uh, larger uh, market. And as soon as the gamers started complaining about DPC latency, you know what? It, it, uh, there was a little patch released within, I don't know, a couple of weeks, but <laughs> it, it took six months of screaming, you know, and then it got fixed and then it, then that that uh, was resolved in 1909. But um, this is the type of stuff that can bring uh, professional DAWs down very, very quickly. And uh, the, also the stability has to be at the audio interface level as well, which comes down to the quality of the drivers. Um, now, are you mentioning kind of graphics? I mean, graphics, obviously, we're... We, there's a lot of graphic content on the screen, but it's it's not 3D. It's 2D. You know, we, we're dealing mm -hmm. with 2D uh, 
um, graphics. But uh, th there's a lot going on with the graphics engine as well with these DAWs because, I mean, it's like at the moment I'm recording and, and you see it's like, uh, you know, creating the waveform in real time and there's a cursor moving. So there's a, there's a fair amount of stuff that is running in the background um, and having to be maintained within that ultra low latency. Uh, so the graphics drivers are still uh, very, very important. Um, the well, but you know, I'm, you're kind of dancing around this. Just let me directly ask. Yeah. Zabito three writes and it says, what are things you typically consider when putting together an audio workstation? Are there any unusual decisions you might make when compared to other more standard types of workstations? And, and that's what I was going to just combine with another just bullet point I had for you too. Like, What's unusual, what's different about making an audio workstation specifically versus another one? And what are the unique challenges? Like if you were making a Threadripper system with, you know, a 4090 for video editing or gaming and editing or rendering or some type of scientific work, like what stuff do generally all of those do that you just don't do? Like what's unique in making this truly from what most other workstations would worry about instead? Uh, look, with DAWs, it, um, graphics is not overly important. I mean, graphics, right. GPU performance is not overly important because there's no GPU processing. Well, not at the moment. I mean, there's there's some stuff that is actually evolving, which we'll probably chat about a little bit later. But um, generally, the GPUs just need to be solid, you know, uh, and they need to be solid within a 2D environment. So that's where it's different to a video editing um, machine or a gaming machine where you're dealing with 3D or you're dealing with heavy processing by the, the CUDA GPU uh, processors, right? So that that's not something that we are needing to navigate around with audio. Uh, with, the, mm -hmm. with the GPU, it just needs to be something that's solid and, um, and low DPC latency. It just needs to have a low micro latency. Um, uh, you look at the... AMD cards are, uh, I think, have a little bit better with the DPC latency and stuff, but the majority, mm. the vast majority are still using NVIDIA. Um, we don't need to go to these larger graphics um, uh, cards. I mean, if anyone goes and checks out the machines on my website, they'll, they'll see that all of them are actually, the current ones are running internal GPUs, which is fine. And if they want something... Um, to say run three or four screens, I, I use small quadra cards. I mm -hmm. don't necessarily go to the big RTX cards. Where I will go to the RTX cards if a client comes to me and I regard these uh, hybrid systems mm -hmm. and they'll say, um, I guess I'm a professional audio. I need it for professional audio, but I'm also um, doing video editing, whether it's with Adobe Premiere or um, DaVinci Resolve, something like that. And so they need a larger GPU. And that's when I'll start looking at the RTX uh, cards. But we don't traditionally need to go to those larger graphics cards for pure DAW use. So um, what, what's important for DAW use is um, you don't necessarily have to go for these um, gamer style motherboards. Yeah. yeah, with all of the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi, you know, you just don't, you know, I mean, if you need that, fine, right? But if the, the, the thing that draws me to um, uh, 
motherboard choices when when I'm building workstations is the bare minimum. <laughs> when because just and, and and you know some people probably heard you just say the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi and they're like, wait, what is this guy talking about? You don't need that. You're saying you want the minimum amount of drivers and components installed because that's just more things that can have a weird bug that messes with latency yeah. or audio. And all of those devices are actually sharing resources on the back end of the motherboard, right? So, you know, if you want to have uh, clear PCIe lanes, if you want to uh, add additional, whether it's um, audio PCIe uh, interfaces or uh, DSP cards, anything like that, you'd, you'd want minimal sharing of those PCIe resources. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's the, the first thing, uh, for example, the first thing I do with any of these machines is I disable. Um, any components that we don't need, and the first thing is the onboard audio, just gone, all right? Because we're mm-hmm. not we're we're using professional audio interfaces. We don't need the onboard audio. A bit harder on laptops, obviously, but um, uh, I tend not to. And this is a personal preference of mine, simply because I know what kind of headaches I get with uh, product support. I I don't offer Wi-Fi, for example, where other mm-hmm. DAW builders do. And I've gone, well, I just won't take that support call because all of a sudden, instead of being a an audio-specific um, support call I'm getting, I mean, Wi-Fi is not connecting. Well, <laughs> mate, I'm, not, I'm mm-hmm. not interested in actually dealing with that. That's not something I want to deal with. So um, good, good quality boards um, with minimal um, junk. Well, it's not junk, but you minimal know. different things that are pinging yeah. the CPU, basically. Yeah, yeah, and and look, you know, there's uh, there's not all of the major motherboard manufacturers have good product. You know, I'm not going to specifically say one is uh, mm-hmm. overly better than the other, right? Especially at that K level, uh, pick which one um, you, you, a brand that you're familiar with. I have very specific. Um, brands that I deal with, and I, that's actually changed over the years, um, and that will come down to things like you know um, what kind of motherboard failures have I had over over a uh, series run, for example. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've had series runs where motherboard fa- failures have been absolutely zero, and I'm talking hundreds of systems zero, and then I've had um, another series from a particular manufacturer that almost bankrupt me because every, there was a 90% failure rate on the board. This piece of content is brought to you by geeknuck.com and the Serpent Canyon Nuck 12. This Nuck starts at just $1,000 and comes with a 16 gigabyte A770M and 14 core i7. But you can of course order it pre-configured with Windows, 64 gigabytes of RAM and a two terabyte Gen 4 NVMe SSD it's an extra $300. They're not overcharging on the pre-configuration options here. And which either option you choose, it's far cheaper than what you will find on Amazon or at Walmart. And on that note, GeekNuck wants me to emphasize that the prices they have from their own website are always cheaper than going to some outside website. And they also offer a direct three-year warranty since they are an Intel Titanium partner cut out the middleman and save by buying direct from geeknuck.com today and when you do make sure you use the code below and on screen to get another 50 dollars off your order just clicking on the link in the description below helps moore's law is dead directly and using that code helps the channel even more if you need this product in addition to saving you some money support moore's law is dead and get a cool high power nuck for the lowest price possible at geeknuck.com today
and, and, I, I've and, got a similar thing with power supplies because I did a lot of like mining like a few years ago and not just for mining, but just works like different PCs I'd build as well. And I know there's some brands of power supplies people swear by. They say they're good. You can say I'm crazy. You can say it was all anecdotal evidence. And to a certain degree, you're right. But I know which power supply companies I had to replace 10 times. And I know which ones I never had to touch and actually worked well above the specs they listed. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a similar thing for you where you're like, look, no one else is complaining about this issue, but it happened to me five times in a row. I, yeah. I'm going to assume it wasn't a coincidence. Uh, 100%. Power supplies is one of those key components that I was mentioning before. You, you cannot mm -hmm. cut corners on power supplies. Now, the other, the other area for me that's very, very important is that the machines have to be quiet. And when I say quiet, they have to be really quiet, whisper quiet. Now, um, I'm in a room with three of my systems at the moment, and I can guarantee you, you're not going to hear any of them. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, and they have to remain quiet, even working at that hundred percent. It's easy to make a machine that's quiet at idle, but they've got to be you've got to be quiet at hundred percent CPU load. Um, a lot of my clients work within the same room, you know, so they're, mm -hmm. they're home studio environments uh, and compositional environments. The machines are in there with them. They don't have machine room. Some people do, um, but so that was always one of my key um, aspects of my machines. Is not only were they very stable, they were also very very quiet, uh, and that was very important for the clients. Something that I've always maintained, and uh, I'm glad you brought up power supplies because I've had periods where I've had an amazing run with power supplies. Mm -hmm. And um, you can fill in a couple of blanks with the different brands. Um, I, I have a particular favorite brand at the moment, but the, the supply of it is almost non-existent. So I'm kind of shuffling around. And I don't go by brand. I go by who the OEM manufacturer is right. of these units. So I kind of dig a little bit deeper. And if I have to find an alternative power supply, I will find, if I can, um, a, another brand of power supply that uses the same OEM, for example. Mm -hmm. you know? so, so, yes, I, I agree. Power supplies. We, we're going <laughs> around in circles a bit here, but we're agreeing, Tom. You know, uh, very, very important. So um, uh, there isn't an, an enormous difference between the way I would approach an audio workstation and because I used to build uh, video editing machines as well. Where, where the main difference between those two in the past would have been the storage, mm -hmm. um, the throughput for the storage. So we used to raid drives and, and even raid uh, some of the smaller um, SATA. But once we got into M2, there was no really no point. Um, it's you know, so fast, yeah. yeah. So it, the only significant difference between my video editing machines that I only do just for some clients, some existing clients uh, still, um, and the audio production systems is the the big RTX, you know, cards. That that that's a significant difference. And then also just minimizing the amount of components and drivers you install, just because audio already sucks to work with in terms of stability. Let's just remove as many things as possible. Yeah, from ever yeah, causing yeah. something to go. Well, wrong. I, it's just look. There are some there are some motherboards that on the surface look great, but because of the selection of components that are on there, the DPC latency is just horrible, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and there isn't, 
people, you know, I've been accused of being a snake oil salesman, you know, over the years because anyone can actually put a DAW together. And I'm, and I'd always say to these people, if I could be bothered actually responding, would be, um, <laughs> uh, would be, uh, the systems are more than the sum of the parts because there's, you know. 25 years plus of knowledge that I've put into these machines and I support And you've my, tested all these components yeah, and you've I made support, sure this exact thing works together yeah, well. And I support my clients. So I said that is where the benefit of the professional DAW builders are is that um, is the, is the combined uh, IP and the knowledge that we bring to the systems. Yes, you can actually, you can go all out and, and copy every single component, but I can guarantee you the machine may not work as well. You know, I've got a stack of, I've got a stack of background Windows optimizations that I mean I don't even share with my mate Pete Brown from Microsoft <laughs> because he wouldn't be overly happy. But there's a, there's a whole stack of uh, background Windows optimizations um, that you know those of us that have been building DAWs for for the decades that we've got a little grab bag of optimizations that we know that are more placebos and we know the ones that actually can benefit greatly. I mean, we found a recent one with Windows 11 where we had to kind of dig up, um, I don't mind sharing this, we had to dig up um, core parking applications. I haven't had to tweak anything in regards to core parking since about 2008, 2009. And then we've discovered with Windows 11 on both AMD and the Intel machines, um, the power profiles on Windows 11 have been changed to a to a point where even under the performance modes or even if you run ultimate performance modes, uh, cores remain parked unless you actually physically run the app to unpark them. Now, this is something that I haven't had to do, like I said, since about 2008, 2009. So these are the type, mm. of, these are the type of little areas that, you know, um, and there's way more of them, but I'm not going to share anymore. So that, that one's a freebie. Uh, but that's that's one that threw me that that actually threw me for about twelve months because I I was doing a whole stack of twelfth um, uh, gen um, development and I'm thinking why are these there's some very uneven um, threading uh, and uh, load balancing going on and it wasn't overly obvious um, until I discovered that core parking tweak and and even with that core parking there's massive dpc latency micro latencies being reported in our dpc latency checker that we discovered was to do with the core parking um and again it wasn't overly obvious and it took us a long time to figure it out because um one of my colleagues would just automatically do the core parking tweak whether it needed or not that was just in his little tweak bag and I wasn't, and I was getting these ridiculous high micro latencies, and he wasn't. And we we're trying to piece together what was going on. I'm sending, I'm sending, um, uh, you know, information to motherboard manufacturers, to Microsoft. Everyone's pointing a finger at each other, and it just ended up being, um, from my understanding, the thread director's uh, Intel thread director. No, sorry, no, the AMDs are doing it as well. Um, so well, it's a bit different. In, different. Intel literally has a thread director, right, for their uh, big little yep. products, and then yep. AMD has their own CPU threads, you know, selector for highest boost speed. It's yep. kind of a similar thing. It's just Intel's is way more elaborate. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's so uh, it wasn't 
so it wasn't thread director uh, sorry i apologize it would have to be if it, if it was happening on the amd so it's something um removed from the thread director uh but i um yeah ended up being called parking and this these are kind of like small things that you you don't pick up until you just do a whole stack of uh empirical testing watching the way that the thread management is actually working um look a lot of you know how many end users are going to sit there and watch a uh, task manager you know to to mm-hmm. see how th- threads are being applied they don't you know um well and that's an important thing you're kind of getting towards too is to just like wrap up what your point is here what i would say is maybe some of the things you're doing to me could come off as snake oil because i'm an enthusiast who tinkers with my systems constantly mm-hmm. and i know what to look for maybe but a lot of these people are composing music they're musicians and you've you know perfected a set of things you can do which components work together well these people aren't ultra overclocking gamers who are willing to spend all their time dealing with this and some people can call it snake oil but all these people who would call it snake oil probably it's their hobby to mess with this stuff most people it isn't you know yeah yeah. and look and my professional clients are not interested in the politics or or the the uh the back-end mechanics as much. They just want to fire up the machines and work with them in a mission-critical environment. That's that's their uh, sole f- uh, focus. So um, they much prefer, you know, having someone to have done that. And I've got a, a tagline on my website that says, you know, how much is your time worth? And that came about because, you know, clients that always press me for, for pricing on the machines is too expensive and i'm just thinking well you know how much is your time worth would be a question that i'd ask and I'd go, well, what do you mean well if you own a studio uh what's your hourly rate mm-hmm. and they'll go whatever x amount thirty dollars forty dollars i said okay multiply that by how many hours you've spent and wasted trying to stabilize your machine and then come up with that figure in your head and then come back and tell me that my machines are too expensive Mm-hmm. Because well, that's something I've come to terms with too. You know, making content on YouTube is there was what it was worth to me when I was a gamer who overclocked for fun in a college dorm. My mm. time was worth very little back then. <laughs> and then there's now where it's like each one of these podcast episodes, I've put days worth of work into preparing. Gerard's going to spend a day editing and double checking facts and doing things with him. Then I'm going to spend more time after that with some other contributors, making sure it's perfect. This is a week's worth of work. Yeah. When you combine all the people who are working on it, like if something goes wrong in my PC compared to in college, where I'd spend two days trying to see if I can fix it. I'll just go, what will fix it? Order it now. It's business expense. Let's get this done. Because yeah. this is just not, it, it's such a, and for like a studio, their their time's worth even more than mine, I'm sure, because of how many people are a part of that. Yep, yep. So that, that's a really strong point for me. How much is your time worth? Look, I've got some amazing clients that have been with me for over 15 years, you know, they're probably up to their fourth or fifth machine by now. Um, but it, it is thinning. It, it's a very tough market. And, um, you know, uh, especially with, Especially with the longevity of the deployments of these machines, I, I like in the early days, especially when those uh, core counts were were evolving at an you know at a, a more accelerated uh, accelerated rate, we we would get you know I'd get clients needing new machines every three years, two three years, mm-hmm. for example. Then it was like five years. Now it's 
I've had clients coming back to me 10, 12 years, they've used their machines and they've popped their heads up and saying, well, how much more powerful is this machine? I've gone, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even graph it. So, um, yeah. and these these current, when I say current, you know, the last three to five years, I mean, if we, we're talking, you know, 16 to 18 core systems, It'd be hard pressed for these. Uh, for the, there's only a very small percentage of people that are going to be actually tapping those machines out. You know, um, so my repeat client cycle is actually just extending. So it's getting it's getting tougher, um, but it's okay. You know, it's a it's an area that I've been navigating since 1995. So it's just uh, you know, it's a challenge that uh, it's always a challenge for me to kind of stay ahead of everything and. Um, uh it's it's something that i enjoy but it, it'd be nice if i could uh you know just tap into a wider market <laughs> uh and and uh apple apple's it's kind of had a bit of a resurgence as well so that makes it tougher as well so you know there'd be if people are weighing up whether to go uh, mac or pc um i would say that they're having a bit more of a resurgence back to to mac i would say and there's a couple of well, you know, they're there. making their own hardware. One of one of my Gerard, my audio engineer, has both his workstation with like a 4090 and like really powerful stuff. He does not just work for me, but he's actually in a band, does the editing and preparing for his band. So this really makes sense for right. him to have yep. a powerful system. But then he also has a very high-end MacBook that uses Apple Silicon because he says, Yeah, the stability. Just can't beat it. And there's been times where weird bugs happen and he has no clue. He's pulling out his hair. Why won't this render correctly? Why won't this? He goes on Mac and takes an hour to redo it. And it's just always done work. And this is the same app. This is the same video editing application. Um, well, no, audio? that's the thing. He'll just decide to switch applications because he just yeah. doesn't yeah, know what yeah. the bug is. Yeah. Not worth it. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, look, you know, there's a, there's a lot of strengths in Apple, but, um, you know, they've been my nemesis for the last, uh, you know, 20, you know, close to 30 years. So um, uh, I um, I always tread very, very carefully when it comes to comparative performance with the Apple stuff. And I, I tend to be the guy that um, a lot of Apple people dislike because I'll, I'll do some comparative performance stuff. It actually flies in the face of what I call the Apple RDF, you know, the reality distortion field uh, level of reporting. <laughs> And I um, feel like both sides have a distortion feel, though, because you talked about how some people will compare this budget PC to an Apple one and say, well, but this is really better. And it's like, well, yeah, but you you've gone so cheap that it actually isn't comparable anymore. You yeah. just don't seem to realize how much worse this is than that Apple system. But then you have the Apple, some Apple people who just think the Apple thing's four times better than it really is as well. Yeah. I, I, really, both sides think their thing's four times better than it it really is like you yeah. need to use high end components on PC usually to actually match the high end components in the ma Apple machine. Um, and then once you do that, like there's still usually pros and cons to either side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there, there's a part of the reality distortion field, I think is uh, actually descended over Intel of the <laughs> over recent. Absolutely. Times. Yeah. So, you know, so do you, do you want to move on? Um, well, that's what I was going to bring up right now though. So speaking of, testing things and you know all the things we've talked about one of the main reasons you reached out to me was about intel's eight current situation with workstation server hedt and their sapphire rapids program um, processors mm -hmm. like qh freddy writes in and asks 
What were your first thoughts when you got your hands on Sapphire Rapids and how have things changed since then? So I'm just going to okay. use this to kind of launch into the conversation about you have quite a saga here and yes. quite a lot of opinions about Sapphire Rapids. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, look, this was something that was very, very important to me because, you know, I you know, I wrote an article on um, on my Facebook, uh, Doorbench Facebook page, where I broke it up in uh, three or four parts. And the last part was basically the uh, just tracking the Intel HEDT history. Mm-hmm. And um, so starting on X58, X79, X99, X299. So there was a pretty reliable three-year cadence between X58 to X79, X79 to X99, X99 to X299, right? So it was 2008, 2011, 2014, 2017. So X299 is 2017. So that's enough to freak anyone out because we're in 2023 now and they were just, they've only just um, announced that they're actually stopping production of them. I, mm-hmm. You can't find any. There's no motherboards gone. But X299, I was still building X299 machines till the end of last year. So that's, that's a five-year run. So that's pretty much two years. They were overdue for a HEDT replacement. You're saying for the exact workloads you run, yep. those old 14 nanometer, 10980XC type mm. things, mm. those are the ones that were just always giving you the consistent report uh, performance. And it hasn't been, and well, they didn't make any new HEDT. And I believe you said Threadripper always had some latency issues. And so really it wasn't until Zen 4 in Alder Lake that they started finally offering you something new to use for your customers. Yeah. Well, look, the interesting thing, and I'll bring AMD into the conversation now, is that is that um, uh, there was, they were in the wilderness for, there was probably a period there, seriously, Tom, for about 10 years where they weren't mm-hmm. even part of the conversation. They weren't even part of the conversation. Then when the Zen came out, that's when everyone, their, everyone's ears pricked up and went, hey, you know, these guys are back. But it took them a couple of generations to actually um, catch up. So, you know, Zen 1, for example, if you're going core to core, and I think they were up to eight cores, there's no way in the world that they were matching the Intel eight cores at the time. Um, for your workloads. For, for, yes, sorry. For, for, yeah. And um, when I'm saying that, it's specifically for yeah, audio, audio, audio production stuff, right? But so, I think this is worth emphasizing because if someone skips into this part of the podcast, they may hear this. And it's really not a surprise to me because it really wasn't until Zen 3 that AMD was finally getting to like a, a consistent latency performance and basically all applications that came close to a lot of the things Intel was doing. But you know, yep. for a lot of people, they wouldn't have known that. And, you know, I just say it every now and then to make sure. Yeah, yeah. So Zen, Zen 1, um, that was a, a, a quite a remarkable shift. And I was, uh, even though I was, look, I, I was building predominantly Intel machines then. Uh, actually, I was building primarily and only Intel machines. Basically, then. yeah. Yeah. And so I, I was watching it very, very closely. And Zen 1 just, you know, didn't do a thing. Didn't do a thing for me. The AMD um, fraternity, I, call, I affectionately call them the AMD and the lobby, right? So there's a group of <laughs> diehard AMD guys and good on them, right? And they just go, man, you know, Zen's back. It's going to kick Intel's ass. Well, it, it Zen Well, two, Zen 2 yeah, was when Zen, things Zen. got bad for yeah. them in a lot of departments. Yeah. Maybe so, not yours, but a lot. No, no. Well, I'll tell you, Zen 2, 30, so let's say 30, we'll go to the top chip, right? So 3950. That would have been up against, I'm looking at 2019. And so mm-hmm. the 10th gen had 10 cores, and we're talking 16 cores 
at what I call the enthusiast level. We weren't talking HEDT, right? So Intel mm-hmm. still had they had the. You're talking the, the AMD 3950X versus the Intel 10900K. 10900K, right? So we're talking at that level now. You got to remember, Intel still had their X series, so they they could go up to uh, 10, 12, uh, up to 18, and that was going up against the. Um, the thread rip the amd up to 64 cores yeah yes right and so for audio stuff the thread rippers really didn't they didn't make a dent because the daw software wasn't actually playing ball with it so when we um uh when it got to ryzen 3 3950 that was the 4x4 ccx and mm. it's <laughs> they still were not outperforming the um the tenth gen, right? Mm-hmm. They still went. Yeah, and then with the Zen three, the five thousand series, when AMD finally unified That's eight when, cores per CCD yes. slash CCX, same thing now. Yes, yeah. and and with the with the Ryzen five thousand fifty nine fifty, that's when it, it really started um, competing um, very well against not only the Z series but also up against the ten series ten X series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it still didn't catch it with the virtual instrument stuff until the 7950 and that's the ddr5 and then it comes down to the memory memory throughput now threadripper should have been should have been something that we could have been all over um mm-hmm. uh, these uh, high-end daws the only problem is is that they just did not thread efficiently above a particular core logical core count which happens to be 32 for daw um usage the the uh sweet spot is 16 um 16 core or 32 thread and this is where the 13900k is still very very powerful uh in that even though it's only got eight performance cores those 16 what they call you know we'll call them you know equals economy cores um in combination that is actually going head to head with the 7950 which kind of surprised me right so Mm. We were expecting the Sapphire Rapids to actually bring a whole new um, level of performance to the Intel platform. And uh, those early videos, those leaked videos uh, that I was watching of yours where you were, as soon as it, it was confirmed that the W2400 was going to be on the same chipset uh, right, which just to back up here, I've I've been doing well, really, because it took so many delays and so long to come out. Yeah. I've been doing Sapphire Rapids leaks, I think, since 2020. So it took forever. Right. I could not believe it's. By the way, very funny for me every now and then. I'll be looking at old stuff and being like, "What did I say a couple of years ago? You know, is this something related to this?" And I'll go, "Oh my god, I linked these specs like years before it came mm. out. It just took them this long to get it ready." Yeah. Um. The original leaks for Sapphire Rapids, I remember, yeah, my Fishhawk Falls leak. That was a big one. I believe this channel was the first one to break the story that they had a 24-core monolithic version of Sapphire. Right, which I'm sure perks your ears up. And at the time, they did have a smaller socket plan for that. They did. And then, or, or at least a different one with that was tailored. And now it's just just one socket. And then you just put this tiny die on this huge Sapphire Rapids yeah, f- package. Yeah, and, and that surprised pond. me. 
Yeah, I think I I think I was told that by the way, like months before, or like right before they officially announced it, or and I was like, I I couldn't believe, like, oh really? And it seemed like an almost last minute decision to use one platform for both the monolithic dies and the uh, you know multi tile dies. It it feels it doesn't feel very structured at all. It it does feel like a last minute thing, and and this is I've voiced this numerous times on um, on my blog and also um, some forum threads that I actually frequent that uh, as soon as I it was confirmed that the two were going to be merged mm-hmm. I had a I had a sinking feeling that there was going to be a problem because we, I mean we're talking completely different architectures here Tom as you know we're talking about a monolithic dive a little frog in a pond sitting in the you know a, <laughs> a package that is designed uh, size it, to accommodate a four chiplet um, you know, modular design, and all of a sudden they go, oh, why don't we just keep using that socket and we'll just drop the chip right in the middle? I mean, it's just, no. And um, mm-hmm. uh, I, the, Well, on that dash, my hopes that this would be a reasonably priced pa- platform yeah, for, was... like, gamer creators as well, because I looked online, and, you know, me and you talked about this offline, like, you know, there aren't really a lot of reviews for Sapphire Rapids workstations. No, hardly any, hardly any. But I don't yeah. think anyone's buying them, and that's why. Because if you look online, the motherboards are like a thousand dollars. This is not a, a replacement of X three nine nine. It isn't. No, it's X299, just way too X three nine nine. It's way too expensive. Like this is just not even the same thing. Yeah. So this this is the uh, these are the points that I was making. So um, when when the, all of those uh, leaks that you uh, had released came to fruition in February. February 15, all the NDAs got lifted. I was expecting a flood of reviews and, you know, and benchmark, and I'm thinking, well, where are these things? And I wasn't getting anything from my channel about availability or mm-hmm. pricing, which that was a kind of the odd one with the pricing. Um, but then we discovered that, um, that press release thing that I actually sent you as well that had some, had some kind of uh, rudimentary pricing in there as well. Uh, it worked out far more expensive here in Australia, but there, there was some pricing, and I knew then. That, forget it. This is not an X two nine nine. My biggest problem was always going to be the combined chipset because the Xeon, the higher level Xeon, there they always had a separate chipset to the X series. The X series always gave us um, far more management in regards to to clocking. Uh, mm-hmm. There was always a healthy all core turbo and uh, top turbo clock. Uh, the Xeons are always uh, more uh, reserved. Um, so seeing a combined chipset, I had my concerns, yeah. uh, which came to fruition, which we'll get to. But I, it was something that um, when they weren't announcing the pricing, when they weren't announcing when the, the stock was actually landing. So I'll give you a tip. It hasn't landed here in Australia. Still, mm-hmm. we're in July, right? The motherboards landed, um, so it was about a good six weeks before they released the pricing, and that you know that gave me a heart attack because we're talking the motherboards came in at uh, we're talking Asus. Let's talk Asus because that that was one of the primary release partners. So there's two Asus boards. One's called a uh, Ace, and one's called a Sage. Now the Ace is specifically targeted W2400. It's a quad channel memory board. Um, and uh, the Sage is a um, an eight-channel memory board, so obviously that's targeted at the W3400, you would think, right? Somehow, 
the the geniuses have decided that the W2400 is also going to accept the W3400. Now, how does that work? It's an eight-channel chip, and there are people going to say, oh, yeah, well, so what? You know, you can use a four-channel. There's plenty of memory throughput, but it's not designed specifically for that chip. So it should have, to me, it should have remained um, W2400 only, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and luckily, Pete, over at uh, uh, Scan in UK, he got some he got some early components, and um, and the pricing. So you know we're talking eighteen hundred. This is Australian pricing eighteen hundred and fifty dollars for the Ace board. Right, so that'd be it's, like twelve thirteen hundred in the US. Yeah, and yeah, if it was eighteen hundred and fifty dollars here, and the Sage is twenty eight hundred dollars, which is kind of ludicrous. I've never seen a motherboard at twenty eight hundred dollars. So mm-hmm. straight away, I'm thinking these guys are taking the piss because this is not an X two nine nine replacement. They're targeting directly at um, even over and above um, Threadripper Pro type of workstation mm-hmm. type of areas. And I'm thinking, well, that's 3400 Why is the 2400 being targeted at that type of price point? Um, when we started testing these uh, W2400 series, because we're not interested in W3400, that's when the fun started because immediately one of the things that uh, Pete discovered was that the all-core turbo on these machines, and with our bias tweaks as well, which, which is applied um, to the you know the Z series that will give us um, you know a very healthy all core turbo of whatever you know say the thirteen nine hundred K is over five uh, five gigahertz for the performance cores right this is all core mm-hmm. turbo not not top turbo just all core turbo and one of the things that we noticed in in um, the early documents for the uh, the W series that we received, the dealer documents and the training documents and stuff, was that they never listed the all-core turbo. They listed the base clock, they listed the top turbo, and they listed the turbo three. They never listed the all-core turbo. I mean, we never thought too much about it. What we discovered, though, was that um, these things would not all-core turbo uh, anywhere near where we were expecting. Mm-hmm. So if we were talking mid four, four point six gigahertz for the turbo bins, we were expecting at least in the four gigahertz for the all core turbos because it's only usually a couple hundred megahertz behind what the top um, turbo bin is. These things were lucky to add a couple of hundred megahertz to the base clock. Mm. All right, so we were dealing with. Uh, mid threes at best to, to three gigahertz on the 24 core. I mean, three gigahertz. We, <laughs> and we go, what the, what the hell's Yeah, three going gigahertz on, on a 24 core. How in the heck? I mean, you might as well use a Zen 4 that's yeah, just going to yeah. run 16 cores at 5.5 gigahertz. It's yeah. not even a comparison, actually. No. So for the first for the first um, couple of r- test runs, and I'm doing this by proxy because, you know, Pete's got these hands on the stuff and, and he's – feeding all this information to me. I said, look, there's something wrong there. Can you get a hold of both Intel and Asus? And I was doing it at my end as well and saying there's something going on with the all-core turbo with this. That can't be correct. Now, the thing is Pete was hitting some – he was just getting stonewalled and uh, everyone's crossing Mm -hmm. their arms and both Intel and Asus are crossing their arms. The engineer's going, no, that's it. Well, why didn't you document it? Uh, We didn't need to. Yeah, you did because if that's the correct – um, all-core turbo, these things are, are going to be failing out of the gate. 
Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if uh, you know it, you can insert name here? Any of the mainstream tech review sites got a hold of these things, and the best all-core turbo they could get was a couple hundred megahertz across. Uh, sorry, a couple hundred megahertz um, of say, let's say max five, four, five hundred megahertz above base clock, mm-hmm. right? And easily a gigahertz below where they should have been. So they would have been getting slaughtered. And this is probably why we still haven't seen any reviews, Tom. Right? We still haven't seen any. Uh, and the only pe- person that's done any e- extensive testing and actually released these reports is Pete from Scan, right? Mm-hmm. Because the NDA was lifted. Hey, you know. Um, and uh, Puget Systems have done one, which is basically just a fluff piece. I wouldn't even get anyone to bother reading. I mean, you can go over and have a bit of a read, but um, they they put in a token. At 3900K in the comparative charts. They never even mention in the detail, but the 3900K is actually demolishing the, <laughs> demolishing the W2400s and 3400s comparatively. And I'm thinking, well, is that an elephant in the room or what? Right? Mm-hmm. So after the first series of tests, I said to Pete, I don't think you should release this. I, don't, I seriously don't think you should release these, these reports, even though everyone's waiting and, and we've already kind of blab that uh, you've got a hold of one of these things and everyone's waiting for the test reports. I've said, seriously, we, we need to get an answer from both Intel and ASUS. What is going on with these all-core turbo um, mm-hmm. bins? Because this has happened before. Um, I won't name names. There's no point. Actually, I almost got caught up in, in a little bit. I was actually able to last minute fix the video, but there's been releases where you get bad performance in them. You know, if it's Intel or AMD, doesn't matter. It's like they should have had this working before they sent this to us for testing. But oh, 100%. you put out this thing, it doesn't work. And then day of, they fixed it and you didn't notice this weird way to fix it. And then everyone calls you stupid, yeah. right? So and I see what you're getting at. Like, don't release this unless we're just quadruple sure. Yeah. This is what Qu- we're getting Quadruple at. sure. So, um, so one of the issues was the clocking problem. And the other one that I actually shared with you that I haven't actually shared Um, in any of the written stuff, but I don't mind talking about it today. For the first half of this year, have you felt like a dog chasing its tail as you scour CD websites and eBay to find any place you can get reasonably priced Microsoft products? Well, you don't need to do that anymore. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com, the best place to get Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices. And you know, they're always doing special promotions. Right now, in fact, they are doing their mid-year sales event that you're not going to want to miss. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course, Microsoft products or gaming peripherals, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, cdkeyoffer.com today. Is that there was some really um, distinct, we'll call them distinct, uh, power requirements for these chips. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking that they're pulling a lot of power. What What's actually happening is that, and I'll give you two examples. If you've got a, we're talking 12 core, you know, um, 12 core, no, no, sorry, the 16 core. We didn't have a 12 core. So we're talking the 16 core. So that's the 2465X, all right? So we're mm-hmm. talking the 16 core um, on the ACE motherboard. Uh, it's starting to run up on my uh, door bench uh, testing 
um, which is just you start progressively loading these small plugins incrementally. And uh, had a um, what did he have in there originally? I think he had an eight hundred and fifty watt power supply. I think you said you may have started with seven fifty watt offline. Is no, eight fifty. You tell me, but it uh, could have yeah, been eight fifty. Yeah, it was eight fifty. Started with eight fifty, and. Um, the machine came up, but as soon as you press play, it actually shut itself down. And we're not talking restart it. It shut itself down mm-hmm. completely. So then he moved to a 1,000 watt. And with the 1,000 watt, I think he got like a, to a 30 or 40% load, and then it shut itself down. And we just kept, he just kept going up, right? Um, and I think the next one was 1,200 watt. We still didn't get to um, 100% CPU load. It had to go to a 1,600 watt. Um, to, to keep this machine up. Now, he was testing the 16, 20, and 24 core with that 1,600-watt power supply, and, and the machine was stable, but the clocking was still up, up the shit. But um, it was, at least it was staying up. It wasn't actually shutting mm-hmm. itself down. But I said to him, can you actually find some way of measuring the power draw on this? to see what kind of power these chips are actually pulling because I've seen reports of um, even running flat out. The 24-core was pulling only 400 watt or so, the chip itself, or under 400 watts. So I'm thinking, why why do we need these kind of requirements for the the power supply? So we measured the 16-core, we measured the 24-core. Now, the 24-core, so that's the worst-case scenario, maximum power draw with the CPUs running, um, not at the standard clock, because we actually managed to fix the all-core turbo, which I'll kind of fixed it. Um, but these, these machines running at 4.4 all-core turbo, and it was pulling 500 watts from the wall. Jeez. But it, it was requiring um, the, it wouldn't, the 1,200 watt would drop. So it was it, what we worked out, was that it was requiring at least 750 watt overhead above what was actually getting um, uh, what the machine was demanding. So wh- how, why, what, what's going on there, right? Uh, and then there's this cryptic thing in the manual <laughs> where it says minimum required, 1,500 watt power supply or dual 750. Right. So, any, so anyone who would call you crazy, you, in the manual, it says you need a 1,500-watt power supply. That was a little cryptic one line that we completely missed, and we're thinking, why would you need a 1,500-watt power supply? Well, but even better, dual 750, and you're asking yourself, well, how the hell are you going to connect dual 750? Because these motherboards have dual complete, they have dual power mm-hmm. rails, dual 24. I'm used to seeing that for mining rigs, so, yeah. Well, uh... Why do we need it for a 24 core? No, but I agree. I, that's bizarre that this would need that right. compared to like a 3,000 watt mining rig. Why yeah. would this need yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and the thing that we'd figured out, and again, this is not com- confirmed, but this is the only th- logical thing for me was that, that it seems to me that, that um, the, it's actually tripping between those two power rails. So mm-hmm. if you don't have a, a 750 watt overhead above what your machine is pulling it'll actually trip that first power rail so maybe it, it actually requires that dual 750 i i don't i don't know i reckon it's the worst design i've ever seen it's actually it, it has to be a design um issue there. well let me give you an example too um i did 
you know, pretty extensive testing with various Ampere and RDNA 2 graphics cards on my test system over here. Mm. And for a while, I just had this like old 1050 watt power supply. I'm like, surely that's enough for any single graphics card, yeah, you right. know, <laughs> but it was an old one. It came from a mining system that was used for two years straight. So it's seen you so it wouldn't surprise me if it had issues and the funny thing is is um in like a two-month span i think last year i tested like an rx 6750 xt like a um i'm trying to remember what else but like uh, uh, several high-end amd graphics cards that were like 6900 and stuff mm. and these are graphics cards that are supposed to use between 250 to 300 watts and I found that the 3090 I tested, uh, no issues using those AMD cards that supposedly use 300 watts. The Ampere graphics card, yes, it's listed as a 350 watt card, which is more than the others, but I power limited it. And it wasn't until I limited it to like 180 watts that it wasn't tripping this power supply that I had never had issues with. (laughs) And it's because Ampere just has these amperage spikes that are like Uh. 50% above the power usage it says. Now with you though, I've never seen a product use triple <laughs> what it's well, supposed to use. I or mean, something. Th- this is completely flabbergasted us. So, um, but it requires so- fifteen hundred watts, so that should tell you they know there's something there with probably the rails and power spiking with these products. Otherwise, they would not say it needs fifteen hundred watts. They would. Yeah, that's it's, there for a reason. It's it's bizarre. Well, um, the only other people that are um, the only other motherboards that I've seen that have actually on live with these there's the asrock one but it's got a single power rail all right Mm -hmm. um and that's one of those hybrid uh, um boards i think it's actually an eight channel that's that's a full that's a full eight channel w3400 board i think i have to double check that one um and then super micro i've got a couple of boards but they've got very specific boards Uh, you know you've got the the quad channel uh, and the eight channel boards and the quad and they've actually um They've got configured systems as well, which is which has been helpful to see what Supermicro have actually qualified is required. Now the W twenty four hundred series machines, twelve hundred watt power supply, Tom, twelve hundred mm. watt, right? They didn't require fifteen hundred watt, right? So worst case scenario, and these guys are running larger uh, quadra cards or or um, or mm-hmm. RTX cards in these workstations, so uh, twelve hundred watt. Um, the W3400, that was an interesting one, 2,000 watt. Right. Oh, my God. Right. Almost got to be in Europe to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, but, I mean, that that was that one kind of sprung my eyes up. 1,200 watt I can accept, right? But we're mm-hmm. still dealing with, you know, a power draw that's 700 watt above what is actually getting pulled, right? So there is something going on. Is it a spiking thing? We can't get any answer, right? And just to backtrack a bit, we did manage to get the all-core turbo resolved, right, mm-hmm. kind of and unofficially, right, and people are going, what the hell is he talking about? Well, and I did discuss this in the pre-chat, there was um, uh, an overclocker that got sent some advanced parts, 24-core and one of these ace boards. Now, I, what was his name, Tom? You kind of uh, derailer, not derailer. The Bauer, that's the one, and um, I, I was uh, was brought to our attention after we uh, Pete released that first report that um, 
you know, someone was saying, well, why are you guys kind of struggling, you know, between that three to three and a half gigahertz? This this guy's got this thing easily running at 4.4 with a preset, you know, an overclocking preset, and then he moved it up to almost six gigahertz. So I thought, what, 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 what preset? And what, so I read the article top to bottom, and with the ACE board hidden under a submenu, you're going to love this, hidden under the submenu, was a clocking profile that just said um, water clocking, no, water cooled, water cooled overclocking profile. Right, that's all it said. It was undocumented in any of the ASUS documents. ASUS didn't even admit that the thing was on that board. Uh, no, it was completely undocumented, right? And Pete missed it in the mix the first time. And I've just said, hey, uh, go read this article. You want to just pull that up. Don't change anything else, right? Don't go mucking around with uh, base clock multipliers or anything like that. Just pull up this multi- uh, this overclocking profile and, and tell me what it does because the guy was saying that it didn't touch the base multiplier. All it did was unlock the all-core turbo. And sure enough, that's exactly what it did, right? So he just didn't do any other tweaking. He called up this so-called water cooling overclocking profile. Now, the CPUs running flat out are barely breaking 55 degrees, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need water cooling, right? So at 4.4 gigahertz, well, actually at the the standard all-core turbo, they'll barely break in 50. Uh, and this was with a single tower Noctua heat pipe cooler. It wasn't even water-cooled. Um, when we got the, the chips to, to work at that 4.4 gigahertz all-core turbo, mm-hmm. the 24-core, um, the temperatures, I think, they didn't break 60, right? Um, and uh, then we re-ran all the tests at that, you know, Pete was calling it overclocked. I'm calling it unlocked because I don't think it's an overclock because the, the, the base multiplier hasn't been touched. It's actually all working within the turbo algorithms, right? This is exactly what we were expecting, all-core turbo above 4 gigahertz. And uh, that completely changed the um, the whole dynamic of how these chips were performing up against the 13900K and the 7950 because prior to that, the, the 13900K and the 7950 were actually handing, handing their ass to them in, in mm-hmm. uh, audio production stuff. Now, even at those type of rates, uh, at the, the higher clock rates, though, um, it, it took the 16 core to actually get some single point percentage uh, improvement over those 13900K and, and, and um, 7950K, which is pretty amazing. I mean, we are talking uh, lower clock, right? But that's still pretty impressive. And so these Xeons have still got a, a mile to go, even at that unlocked all-core turbo at that 4.4. Uh, and so we're trying to weigh up, okay, how, how do we promote and market these chips? Because yeah. Puget Systems, there's no way they, they are actually, um, whether they even, they even knew about that setting, they're not, all of their test results are not based on that 4.4. Uh, gigahertz or core turbo, right? They're just basing it on whatever it, their standard one was, which was in the low threes, right? Um, how do we market them? Because oh, there's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be marketing an overclock system. So we've been pushing um, Intel and ASUS as much as we possibly can to say, listen, this is the true all core turbo. Can we actually get some type of acknowledgement and an amendment? 
to the clocking profiles yeah. for these W2400s. So we're not dealing with these ridiculously low uh, all-core turbo clocks. Nothing's been um, brought forward. Uh, nothing's been acknowledged. And the, the chips are almost non-existent out in the marketplace. And then, then I saw that article where the, apparently there was some errata on the, um, the uh, smaller core systems, right? Um, and they pulled production of all of them. I'm going, uh, what? So they've got an errata on the monolithic die. You're talking they, about the recent security issues with Sapphire Rapids where they halted shipping, right? Is that, is that a security? Was it a security issue? I don't know what it was. They didn't really acknowledge what it well, was. Well, they, they said just, bug forces Intel to halt Xeon. Correct. Sapphire yeah. Rapids. So right. there was some, there was, I, I don't want to misspeak. Yeah. Yeah, there was some errata, and they didn't they didn't claim what it was. They just said that for most people the performance wasn't actually being affected. And then uh, this morning uh, before I. Uh, before I joined you, they um, I just spotted an article where they've said, hey, they've fixed it and they're uh, releasing it and it's probably got a different step. I don't know what's going to happen with all of the product that's out there in the, in the space, but, I mean, there is still no product here in Australia. I don't know how much is in Europe or America. Uh, do you know anyone that's actually knocking these things up? Uh, so, yeah, and this is where I want to kind of start steering the conversation because it's just so fascinating how, like, Intel is so far behind in workstation and HEDT for most use cases um, when Threadripper came around. Maybe not for yours, but for most use cases. Yep. Um, and then nothing. They basically gave up because they're like, we can't compete with Threadripper. Mm -hmm. And then Sapphire Rapids, Fishhawk Falls, I leak that. It becomes this thing where it's like, well, now AMD has gotten cocky. They're not making new Threadrippers. You know, it's took them forever to get Zen 3, and it was only pro workstations out. Yep. Yep. And this Zen 4, to, from what I hear, might not launch on Threadripper until early next year, maybe still only to pro. Mm. And they're just really dragging their feet. AMD is not feeling a fire under their ass at all no. to compete in workstation. No. And when I leaked Fishhawk Falls, it seemed, well, here we go. Maybe, maybe if AMD is being lazy, Intel's going to have something interesting. And I think I'm slowly coming to the realization and why I wanted to have you on, because you seem to be coming to this realization as well, is it just doesn't seem to be there. I mean, Sapphire Rapids exists. My understanding is, especially in the U.S., you are one of their main big customers. You're someone like a, an HP or a Lenovo or whatever, like a major server customer. You can get Sapphire Rapids server chips like this, and they will have like one month lead times or something like they will just get it to you because they know how behind they are in server. They want to make sure they tend to those customers. But for everyone else, and I do talk to retailers and just kind of more mom and pop stores that, you know, are maybe I've been told some of them do like the business of like two micro centers a month. And they do mostly to do it yourself, but then they also do small server contracts with like local businesses. Yep. They'll build them servers themselves and they can't get a hold of Sapphire Rapids. The only people that can get a hold of Sapphire Rapids right now are like the biggest customers. And I don't see any gaming websites talking about how great these workstations are. I don't see anyone testing them. And in fact, while you were talking there, I was Googling around. There's articles that have been out since March where they were like, if you push the all-core turbo past five gigahertz, this thing requires at least 1,900 watts. So you're not the only one who's noticed oh. that these 400-watt CPUs actually can require much more. And I even went, I, I Googled around for boutique PC builder websites. I'm like, surely 
someone must offer these Xeons for boutique gamers or whatever who have more money than sense. I found one. The second I put one of these Sapphire Rapid CPUs in the configuration menu, it said at least 1200 watts required. Like it just switched the power supply on me. So you're not, the, I'm starting to realize as I Google around while you're talking here, like, no, these things use clearly far more energy than they're acting. And even when they're not using that much energy, they have really perverse power requirements to even remain stable. Well, and I, mean, that, I think that, that's why we don't see anyone review. I think that's why you don't see a lot of reviews. Yep. And I, I think that's why you don't see a big push from Intel to get people to review them or buy them because they just don't really seem to work. And now they've halted shipment. I know they've read where they're redoing the shipments now, but I don't know. They're, you've, you know, you reaching out to me a, a couple months ago has spurred me to reach out to other people. And it just does seem like Sapphire Rapids cost more than we ever wanted it to, has more issues to this day than we ever wanted. And it's just kind of for Intel's closest server customers, all their use cases kind of seem to be a mess to yeah. use these for. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you put it perfectly perverse because the perverse power requirement, I mean, it, it's not pulling, you know, the those enormous type of power uh, requirements from from what we can measure it's not doing it there's just something in the design that's actually dropping these machines if you don't have at least a 750 watt power uh, overhead this is on the asus boards overhead uh, you mean above what they should above, probably require yeah well above right so look i i always build machines with a a nice overhead um with the power supply. So even if, you know, if I do all the calculations and the machine is pulling at max four or 500 watt, I've still got a 750 or 850 watt power supply mm -hmm. in there, right? I've never encountered these type of <laughs> situations where the things are actually just shutting themselves down unless you've got, you know, a 1500 watt power supply in there. Um, and the thing is not shutting itself down um, immediately. Sometimes you actually have to press play. Like, you know, it would actually fire the machine up but as soon as you press play, now uh, there is no CPU load on it. As soon as you do any form of processing, it was dropping the machine down, right? This is with the smaller power supply. So uh, the Sapphire Rapids to me has been a disappointment in more than, you know, <laughs> just the, the performance issues we're having. The pricing, I, uh, I think I was dictating, um, I actually did a comparative thing for you where, uh, if we were putting a 3900 uh, k and a, a a good quality motherboard and the CPU and the motherboard just in itself would be under $1,300 in Australia. Mm -hmm. A 16-core W2400, uh, which is the 2465X, uh, plus the ACE motherboard is $4,300. And we're not mm. talk, and we're only talking single-figure percentage improvements, right? Yeah. Across uh, doing the audio production stuff, to try and justify um, a three thousand dollar price variable with that performance variable is very, very difficult. And the only people that are going to be really um, even poking at these new uh, machines is those that have a, a higher PCIe requirement. And that is quite limited because it's really the graphics cards are not the issue. It's going to be, you know, people that have uh, multiple PCIe cards, for example, right. uh, for the audio you know, interfaces or DSP cards. That is 
that's a really small uh, margin, uh, you know, small, very small sector of the market uh, where the HEDTs uh, before were um, the memory bandwidth on these machines were actually a, a, a core advantage as well, you know, with the four-channel DDR4, for example, on the earlier um, N980 or the X299s. Uh, DDR5 has pretty much leveled that memory bandwidth requirement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then it's the maximum amount of memory, right? Yeah. So where, and this is where uh, Intel and AMD differ because we can comfortably get four chips into a Z790 board. For DDR5, we do have to clock them down a little bit, right? But we can comfortably get four chips. Uh, and I think we clock them down at like 48, um, 4,800. And, and they very reliable. We can get up to 128. We actually can get up to uh, with using 48, um, 48 gigahertz, 96, 100. We can get up to 192, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. By clocking the memory down on these uh, Z790s. The trying to run four chips on the AMD machines is a nightmare. You got to drop them down to about 33, 3400, 3500. I think um, I haven't even attempted it because. Um, I know dual channel up, and that's why I only offer up to sixty-four gigahertz on the um on the gigabytes. I mean, sorry, what did I say? <laughs> gigahertz. Uh, gigabyte. It means up to you make sixty-four gigabyte systems 64, if you're using AMD. Yeah, sixty-four gigabytes max for just saving AMD. you from the comments. You yeah, know. thank you. And one hundred twenty-eight gigabyte for for the Z seven nineties presently because um, stocks of. 48 gigabyte uh, DIMMs is uh, pretty mm-hmm. rare. Um, so that um, with with all of that, uh, trying to sell these W2400 systems to the clients that have been waiting for them is, um, uh, you know, a, a, it's a long bow. Um, I've actually trained, I've shifted at least four of my professional clients to Z. Z790, large Z790 machines. Um, and they're coming in from earlier, you know, X-series systems. Um, and they're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'd still like to be able to sort these um, W790 systems. I just can't I can't see it with that whole... There's the whole, a lot of things, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, de- the design of the socket, yeah. I mean, you, you were mentioning they were actually thinking of putting it onto a smaller socket why i mean why couldn't it I? may have been a, i think to, i'm starting to remember i think it may have been a sim, the same lga count but it was like going to be op, more cost optimized for cheaper motherboards and they just never decided to make the cheaper motherboards basically oh uh, right okay so i, I think so if i, I remember think, right i think uh, socket 2066 with a 22 core would have been pushing it that would have been right at the limit and look intel aren't and, uh, you know, well, they're never going to put these on the older sockets. They would have had to have been some new, smaller yeah, and, socket. And look, they're know. not exactly backwards in actually coming out with new sockets every twelve, you know, twelve to twenty-four months on the on the Z series. I mean, they could have easily come up with a a, a proprietary socket for that W twenty-four hundred, and that would have completely removed it from the W thirty-four hundred platform. It it could have been awesome. Um, could have been. And uh, this is what I'm most disappointed about because instead we've got. Oh, I'm not going to say it. I think mean, it just it just feels like a clusterfuck at the moment. You know, I I don't think we're going to be able to even get an official uh, all-core turbo 
um, resolution and um, uh, having to manage that ridiculous power uh, requirement. That's the second one, plus the pricing. You know, it's just horrendous. It's a, it, so a comparative 13, 3900K system with 64 gigabyte of RAM with all of my default storage options is around 4K to get an equivalent 2465X. And this is all theoretical because none of the stuff has landed, but I did price it all up is $8,000. So it's basically double the price. It's just almost impossible to justify, you know, um, unless you, you need that PCIe requirement. Um, I My phone's not ringing off the hook for it. Is all yeah. Well, you know? th that's the, um, um, the funny thing. So, you know, we... I thought, you know, six months ago, if you would have asked me, I would have said something like, well, you know, maybe Sapphire Rapids will push AMD to move up Threadripper. And then like a week, two weeks after that, maybe I, because I did, I leaked this. Like, as far as I can tell, Zen 4 Threadripper is not being rushed out at all. Mm. AMD doesn't feel like it. And I thought, oh, maybe, and I've been saying this even to the, like recently, well, maybe it's because AMD wants to work on just good support for their server products, reducing lead times to their customers. And they don't want to launch Threadripper until they know they have, they're getting close to like Intel lead times and support on everything. They don't see the point in doing that yet. Yeah. And I think that there's some truth to that. That's probably partially part of the story. But the other part of the story is ignore what you're seeing on paper, ignore what you're seeing on from fluff pieces. Once I started reaching out to people after you reached out to me, everyone says either they can't get a hold of Sapphire Rapids or it's had so many issues that they're not going to carry it. Yeah. And I think AMD knows the true story on the ground. You have boots on the ground is Sapphire Rapids really isn't competing with them at all right no, now. No. And they'd have no worries about waiting to release Threadripper later. And that's unfortunate, you know, because we, you're someone who could say it more than anyone. You wish there was something new, but there just isn't for your uses because Intel's just a basket case and yep. AMD doesn't feel the need to rush out a good Zen 4 system. Yep, correct. I mean, if W2400 had... Uh, it actually eventuated as a true um, X299 replacement. Uh, look at that. Look, it could have been more expensive. I mean, I, but just not where it landed. You know, CPUs at, at least double, more than double the cost of what we were expecting. The motherboards are three times the cost of what we were expect, expecting. That it, They're almost like taking the piss, you know. So mm -hmm. um, at least I've got from that, from that internal... Um, um uh, document i think i did actually send you that this morning uh which was the um kind of like a partner uh press release type of thing uh, at least i've got the face of the guy that's responsible <laughs> you know <laughs> at least i can say oh, at least i know what you look like that's actually delivered this fantastic uh uh cluster um and then the thing that disappoints me the most is that um not only that they haven't delivered with the W2400 as we expected, but I think AMD were waiting to see how this eventuated, how they landed before they made a decision on the standard. And if they want it, because look, the Zen 4 Threadripper could launch in three months if they wanted to. They yep. just have to say go. Yep. And I think they were probably waiting. Do we need to launch this this summer? Nah. And they decided, <laughs> no. They don't have to do anything, you know. And and um, uh, look, I've I've seen... I've seen some whispers of um, AMD actually asking some higher-end partners 
via a questionnaire of um, how would they feel about, uh, you know, a, a, a how did they voice it? A H, well, I think they actually said a HEDT product, a new HEDT product. And I'm chuckling going, <laughs> well, what else would it be, right? It would have to be the, the standard Threadripper. Um, and that was that questionnaire was floating around maybe about two or three months ago, Tom. I don't know if you'd actually been aware of it. No, I remember that because that, all the rumor websites covered that. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah. so what, I wasn't. Uh, I, I just got forwarded the email, and they took that to mean well, it must be coming out in a couple of months. And I said, eh, no. people I talked to at AMD, it's not coming out anytime soon. Yeah. To this day, I would say there's a chance it could come out this fall, but I, I, I don't think you should bet on it. It kind of still seems like the roadmaps I saw months ago. Hold true. It's very end of quarter four or early uh, 2025. Yeah. I don't think they need to do anything. Or 2024, not 2025. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they really need to do anything. But um, it'd be great if it comes out because then if we could we could uh, sit there and wipe this sapphire rapid <laughs> like a dirty rag. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is coming from someone who's supposedly you know I was you know Intel focused and biased for for the last you know 20 odd years, and I'm. I'm not. I'm actually. A, I'm a solutions provider, and I'm. I'm focused on providing solutions that are going to be giving me um, the best um, option to deliver the the product without you know constantly having to sit there and navigate um, support or uh, incompatibilities and that type of stuff. And that that's where I always would lean more to the Intel. And there's still some little weird quirks with uh, mm -hmm. my current amd systems we don't have to cover that but i did tell you a couple of but you them. say they're getting better and they used to be of non consideration and they do get better and better well I, you is. know i mean i'm offering amd machines for the first time in 20 20 plus years right so that tells I mean, you something yeah, yeah so i mean they've and um the risins are great you know but there are some caveats and i'm aware of them and i know where the bodies are buried and so you know when the clients are coming to me and saying i need a Ryzen system and i first thing I say is, okay, what kind of audio interface do you have? What kind of protocols do you require? Uh, do you have any DSP cards, PCIe, all of that type of stuff? And I qualify them and I'll go, right, okay, I think I think you're going to be cool, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, there'll be AMD people listening and going, what's he talking about? I'm like, well, you're dealing, these people are dealing with one machine. I'm dealing with multiple, you know, and a whole plethora of different audio interfaces and uh, hardware devices that all have to work perfectly um, because I'm only a one-man operation. I can't afford to be sitting there and circumnavigating weird-ass compatibility problems, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you know what I mean. So th that's where I'm, I'm, I'm at. And um, the AMDs are uh, far Yes, they are far better in regards to compatibility. So I'm happy to do those. Um, I'm not it does happy. sound like for you, it's really Zen 4, though, that's made AMD really be a good One, option. 100%. Zen 4, yeah. you know, uh, with the integrated graphics, that was more than fine for the DAWs. I mean, I don't mind actually throwing, um, you know, uh, third-party graphics cards if, if it is required, but it was Zen 4 that actually uh, tipped me. And um, uh, with the DDR5 and, and, and the um, improvements in the, in the IPC, uh, everything as just as a total package, they were a great uh, type of addition to uh, what I've been offering, and um, you know they're equally as popular as the Intel machine. So they're, they're, I'm I'm happy with that. So that's fine, you know. Um, but I'm I'm not going to be sitting there, you know, ranting that the, these things are 
you know, the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, the, ther- the thermal footprints of of um, the 7950, I mean, the first time I've had to re- been required to actually water cool my systems, whether it was the 7950 and the 3900K, both of them, pushing these envelopes into these thermal, you know, pushing the thermal envelopes into areas where we've never really needed to actually... I don't uh, think that's get- going away, you know. Intel pushed things to 300 watts, and then AMD said, well, we might as well at least go to 170. Yeah. And I think writings on the wall they're all going to be pushing 170 to 250 watts yeah, CPUs yeah. forever it's it's more the thermal it's more the thermal uh, footprints of these things we're leaving you know so like the the um the seven ryzen 7000s would immediately as soon as you put any type of load would immediately go to 95 degrees i'm like whoa hang on what's <laughs> what's going on there and then we discovered it was these these um these uh, power and clocking profiles that the motherboard manufacturers have been a little bit over exuberant with and then amd just say, well oh, no, i mean designed to do that it's built to do that you know there is a difference i've had products where they're unstable above 90 degrees and i've had products where they're actually built to go to 100 and they're fine so yeah, yeah. i think that's another conscious decision of like if we can push it five more degrees and build the silicon to be stable there we can squeeze another two percent performance out, you yeah. know. But but you know that 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 whole profile is easily remedied, very very easily remedied. I mean, they mm-hmm. have they have a thing called eco mode where you could actually run the AMDs at, at a lower power rating, but you don't. You just run it at the designated power rating, and the the actual thermal um, dynamic of the chip goes back to actually scaling as per. Mm-hmm. load it doesn't immediately go to 95 it actually just it goes and behaves normally again so i i thought that was a really weird type of decision um and then you know all the motherboard manufacturers had this this eco mode available which i'm thinking well what is that you know uh and we just scaled the, the heat back on it it's they're still kind of i mean i can manage it with a you know a near silent water cooling system but um it, it it was a job, you know. I much prefer to use air cooling on these machines because they're, they're uh, far more consistent. And especially with when um, I'm deploying these machines for anywhere from you know seven plus years, yeah, water cooling systems aren't going to last that long time. You know, they're, they're going to start getting grumpy and noisy, and uh, you know, it, I don't, and I don't know whether where the tipping point's going to be. Is it going to be three years? Is it going to be five years? You know, so I'm expecting some phone calls in the future that, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, at least water cooling systems, I'll say, in the past three years are significantly more reliable than the 10 years ago, the all-in-ones that people used to buy. That oh, Those yeah. things always crapped out in three years. They don't seem to anymore. Like, they've yeah. finally gotten decent. Yeah. Um, yeah. This summer, Jesse's excited to lay back and, well, if we are being honest, try to get some of my friends and family to give them their hamburgers, hot dogs, and noodles while we're making dinner and having cookouts. Which, honestly, I don't think she even really cares that much about which piece of human food she gets, whether it's healthy or not. But that's where me and her differ, because I do care. The older I get, the more I notice. The healthier I eat, the better I feel. And that's why I eat Vite Ramen. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. 
Bite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, and their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or working from home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's Lawsdead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipe with these noodles, and other food products and cooking utensils as well. And remember that no matter what you get from Vite Ramen, if you use the link in the description and the offer code, you are supporting Moore's Law is Dead, in addition to supporting this plucky and rapidly growing company. So support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting Vite Ramen today. You know, I want to ask you something, though. So you're so used to basically only offering Intel for so much time. Um, how do you and, you know, you talk to people at Microsoft and Intel, and I'm sure you think about this just in your spare time, just as someone who was pretty much an only or a predominantly Intel seller for so long. How do you feel about the company right now, like just in general? And like, where do you do you think how do you feel? Yeah. How do you feel about the health of the company and their future? I might start spraying some expletives, Tom. Um, I I think that I think they're in trouble. I think I I I don't like the hybrid um, chip design. I never liked the hybrid chip design, and they seem to be investing even more in that um, type of uh, paradigm. You know, so are you trying to tell me that they can't get any more than eight performance cores into that die package? I mean, seriously, eight performance cores. It just seems to be a decision. You know, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I know. So there's the Royal core project created by Jim Keller to like move past their existing architecture. They basically have been married to yep. for the past 15 years. Um, and as a part of that, we have Arrow Lake coming out soon. We have Lunar Lake. Nova Lake, maybe on that one. And then there's these things I'm hearing about, you know, like Cougar Cove and Beast Lake. These are all part of this Royal Core family of like solutions Jim Keller came up with to get massive IPC increases. And, you know, we've seen them make ring bus designs that go up to 12 cores before. And I mean, heck, just for anyone who's wondering, like all big cores, Broadwell E was 10 cores. You know, mm. they had that. You could have bought that. And, Fundamentally, they can still do that now. But from what I've heard is there's some Royal Core. I think Beast Lake was one of them designs uh, years from now, if this ever even comes out, that were like up to 10 cores. So I, I, I see them playing around with 10 big cores and then who knows how many little cores um, in the coming years. But I don't really see them playing around with 12 or more than that. I just, I, you know, unless it's a server or workstation chip, yep. I don't see it. That Everything seems to be driving for eight cores and maybe 10 in a few years. But that's yeah. it. Yeah. And this th that's the disappointment for me because I'd, I'd much prefer just all straight-out performance cores like uh, like the Ryzen's. And I couldn't give a shit. Seriously, I couldn't give a shit about the economy cores. Um, but the thing, and then I will say this, though, the when, when they say economy cores, it's very different to the Apple Silicon big little, right, because mm -hmm. the little cores on Apple, they can't do anything. I mean, you can't you can't have any type of processing. Um, you can't have any thread priority uh, landing on those cores. There's no way. And and I've spoken to some developers where they, when they were initially writing uh, some uh, 
native code that they were running into problems where the the the, uh, the threading was actually uh, um, landing on those caused by a mistake. So um, with the Intel though, and again we're bringing in this thread director thing. Um, the applications have no direct um, control over the the thread director. They can't actually communicate with it. It's all on thread priorities. So it's all a bit of a guessing game to me. Um, and uh, look, for the most part, and this is what I've been witnessing with as we as we are uh, progressively and incrementally, uh, incrementally actually loading these DAWs up to the nth degree and watching how the, the core management works, There's, the specific DAWs are actually behaving differently. Um, and some of them will uh, more predominantly load the P-cores first. And then once we get to about a, you know, a moderate load onto the P-cores, then the E-cores start getting loaded with the same multi-thread type of processing. Right? It's not a background or foreground type of process. They're all kind of... Um, uh, foreground and, and proprietary processing, um, and overall, the, the performance of those e cores are not horrible. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think they're saying, did they say it was around an eighth gen somewhere, somewhere like that? So, well, yeah, that was something I kind of broke too. Is like I started like reverse engineering some of the documents I have on the projected performance, and like you, you'd say. And it does it does depend on the application, though, because really the E cores are meant to be used piggybacking on at least two big cores handling things for multi-threaded stuff. So the closest comparison you would make is the Alder Lake E cores, and I guess Raptor Lake would be the same. It's basically Skylake, or maybe slightly better than Skylake IPC, mm. but yep. they don't clock to five gigahertz, at least not yet. So they're not really as good. Also, they don't have hyper threading. So the closest comparison you'd make is it's Skylake if it was clocked lower with no hyper threading. That's about where they are. But that still seems to be like a caveat of if you were to actually only have one E core, it tends to, in a lot of single threaded applications, lose to Skylake. But in multi threading, the E cores actually, if you had four e- Gracemont E cores, four Skylake cores without hyper threading, actually in multi threading, they're better because, yeah. but that's what they're meant to do is to handle multi threading workloads and yep. background tasks. They're not meant to like run a game with like an well, i5. This is where you're saying background tasks. This, this is not the way that they're actually being hit and utilized. No, I in, know. In multi threading you know. media creation applications, they are being utilized as a foreground uh, proprietary task. And if you're using right? them all at once, it's the equivalent of Skylake cores if ah, they didn't have right. hyper-threading is what right. I'm saying. So, but if there was only one of them by themselves, there's a latency penalty where actually it might be worse, but right. I, I, I hope you see what I'm saying. But, you know, the, look, the performance we're seeing is that the 13900K and the 7950 in DSP, the 7950 actually has an advantage as it should because it's 16 true performance cores. But in the in the um, virtual instrument tests, they're almost on par, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of pretty amazing when you think that, you know, we've got, um, you know, only eight performance cores and then the 16 little ones. So I, just in summary, well, I, they're, they're it, not... It depends how you frame it though, right? Because the little cores sound good if you call them little, but in reality, AMD Zen... Exactly. AMD Zen 4 cores 
are i think half the size of a big core for raptor like at least half the size yeah and w- from that perspective you go well wait a second so an e core is a fourth the size of a p core but intel's p cores are twice as big as amd's cores anyways yeah so i mean amd's cores have hyper threading you could you you would argue that amd's managed to compete with 16 middle cores compared to intel yeah, so yeah, it actually yeah. works out about what you expect yeah yeah, yeah. So I, I was expecting um, with the W2500, I was expecting the 16, uh, you know, performance cores um, to actually absolutely um, lay waste to the 13900K and it just didn't happen, you know. It mm-hmm. just did not happen. And that has something to do a little bit with, with clock as well. But it is very disappointing that... You've got the new architecture. There's thermally, they're running at ridiculously low temperatures. I mean, they're seriously, Tom, they're running at mid 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at 4.4 gigahertz. There's plenty of headroom thermally. It's not the thermal footprint that's actually the problem. There's something else going on that is not allowing them to clock into that five gigahertz range. Um, look, I see the potential there, but I'm just, I'm not holding out any any faith that they're actually going to fix this because that that package um die package has actually committed them to um a, a completely different price point and um and platform so look good all i can say to intel is good luck with them you know i'm very very disappointed that they didn't deliver that monolithic um x299 replacement um I'll deal with it. Uh, and, and look, and I even had a bit of a chuckle where I was reading that they're they're planning on a refresh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> refresh. maybe too. Yeah, yeah. Good on them. Good luck. You know, uh, they've they've. I think they should just. I don't know. They can't. They can't just ditch the whole thing, can they, Tom? I just. Uh... Well, maybe the refresh will be the actual push, and you know that we'll have to see. You know they're. I know this refresh is going to be more than just a normal refresh for Sapphire Rapids. I I hope I'm not misremembering, but I think I remember one of my Intel contacts telling me a few weeks ago that like this Sapphire Rapids refresh is actually really like Raptor Lake R, which is really a gen and a half newer than what's in Sapphire Rapids right Uh, now. Okay. So maybe it might have some very fundamental fixes and maybe there's a reason they're not supplying a bunch to Australia and everybody else. Maybe it's because they're like, yeah, this is a basket case, but this gen and a half later version we're going to throw out will actually fix all the issues. That's when we do the marketing and push because this one will actually work. And maybe that'll come out half a year before Threadripper and it'll actually have that narrow time in the sun to shine that AMD isn't taking advantage of right now, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, there's there's a lot of ifs, 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 and maybes. There. <laughs> I agree. Intel is the company of ifs. You know. Uh, I mean, what do you want me to say? Yeah. So, all um, right. Was there anything else that you wanted to check about? Well, if you have like another ten minutes or so, I thought yeah. I'd throw a, f- a final few audio questions for you. That might sure. be fun. Um, Beefish writes in and he asks, "Hi, Tom and Vin. Question for Vin." I've been running optical audio into a DAC with a mini amp and some bookshelf speakers, and they sound okay, but I really can't tell much of a difference from the $25 Sound Blaster speakers I was running before. Is it the equipment or me? (laughs) Probably a combination. Um, 
if if he's running, uh, he's running digital outs into a separate uh, a DAC. Uh, mm-hmm. It comes down to the converters, right? So, you know, the sound blaster running into the speakers. Uh, you know, that, that's a it's a difficult question to answer because I don't know what speakers he's talking about, right? Um, and the right, just because it has optical audio doesn't mean they're good speakers. And I would also say I don't know what sound card you're using. You know, is this because some motherboards have some really cheap sound cards, and for yeah, all I know, there's something he, with that as well. But he's bypassing the uh, um, the D to A converters on the card by using the digital. So he's going digital out into a third party. Uh, digital audio converter, right? DAC. Mm-hmm. That's that, and so that bypasses the onboard sound card completely. Um, from my understanding, yeah. my understanding of the question, he's saying he's not hearing that much difference between the third-party DAW uh, DAC that he's that he's connected uh, digitally, and he's the cheap sound blaster. What going out analog? I, you know, I, if if he's probably using a three point five millimeter, you know. Yeah, oh, that's got to come down to the. It's got to come down to the speakers, you know. It has to come down to the speakers, and um, so you know, if you were to ask me, is there a difference between the onboard, the quality of the onboard sound cards and a, um, a prosumer or professional audio card? It definitely is, you know, and um, but it still comes down to you, you need a listening environment and. Uh, uh, with those prosumers and the professional cards uh, and the speakers, uh, the studio monitor speakers, they're not—they're not going to be designed to give you a hyped sound. They're going to—they're designed to give you a very flat sound, mm-hmm. um, a very flat sound, so that uh, when you do mix um, your music, uh, that it can actually be reproduced on a whole stack of different speaker systems from you know. Um, ear pods to to um, desktop speakers to hi-fi stereo and stuff. So, um, you know, if he's not hearing it, I, again, it, it comes down to there's a human, so many more variables though. Yeah, too, it I'd comes down to, to a human element. The human element is your hearing. You know, um, so there's not necessarily anything wrong by him saying, "Hey, I've got a DAC and I've got uh, I'm going out with my sound blast. I'm not hearing the difference." But if he's going through the same speakers, I think the limitation is. With speakers, you know. Uh, well, I think he has a different set of speakers here, um, but I just don't know exactly which model and where it's plugged into on the PC, you right. know. And I, I can say, like, what I have right now is I have an Asus motherboard, and it actually came with a sound card built for the motherboard that's like, you know, kind of the size of a big NVMe SSD. And right. It slots in there. That has an optical out directly through it. That I'm using to a high-end Yamaha soundbar that's actually fairly new for desk use, and I can say the difference between the sound of that and then a cheap motherboard and Sound Blasters, which is just a cheap brand of speakers, kind of uh, is night and day. It, it sounds yeah. night and day better, but I have to make sure I'm using the right port on my motherboard. If I were to use, well, I guess I actually don't have one on my desktop, but I don't care because I would never use it. But if I were to use one of those front port. 3.5 millimeter audios mm. that might be bypass bypassing your sound card or or something and like you have to make sure the the file you're playing slash the medium to the sound card to the cable to the speaker are all 
in the correct order and line, or one of them might be a cheap component you don't realize you're using over the other expensive yeah. thing. Well, right? when, when you're connecting the one eighth, that's just that that's going through your cards, uh, analog to digital converters, right? Mm -hmm. Where how you've connected your soundbar via your digital I/O, that's completely bypassing the analog digital digital converters of your audio mm. card. On the, and using the analog to digital converters on your soundbar. So that's, it, I mean, there are so many variables. So, I mean, that's, it's a difficult question to respond to because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, if he's, if he's saying that he's using the same speakers and he's not hearing much difference between, like, you know, the one-eighth unbalanced um, connections, right? No, he's using some different bookshelf speakers, so some bigger ones with bass, you know, right. but probably two of them. Yeah, but look, if, if the difference is between, you know, the onboard card and the DAC, I, I, again, I don't know what the, which DAC it is, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you, you can, and again, oh, mate, the, the whole discussion about um, the hearing the difference between audio conversion, um, unless it's really bad, you know, um, there's not an enormous difference between, say, for example, a, a $300 to $500, um, $300 to $500 uh, prosumer card mm -hmm. and a $1,500 card because um, they, they are using the same family of uh, digital audio converters. Where you're going to get the difference with some of those audio interfaces is in the other peripheral stuff like mic preamps, for example. There might be a higher quality mic preamps involved. This is not something that you're going to be uh, dealing with uh, outside of you know the audio production type of stuff. So mm -hmm. with just listening, it comes down to the digital audio converters, and there are different qualities of those. Um, like even MP3 players, for example. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, you know, the iPods, everyone loves the iPods, right? And you're listening to the iPods even through their, their little, you know, the tiny one-eighth into your whatever you're playing into. You know, I listen to the stuff in the car, for example. Um, and if you compare that, to example, to an old Zune, remember the Zunes? <laughs> Yes. You're, you're chuckling. I've still got two of them, right? Uh, brilliant. Um, it's absolutely night and day because the, the digital analog, uh, analog conversion on the on the Zooms was miles better mm. than the Apple product. And it's not something that is even subtle. You can, And we're still talk, talking about, you know, highly compressed MP3s. And even with that, the difference is uh, absolutely night and day. So that's what it, co it comes down to the actual quality of the deck. And then it comes down to the speakers as well. Now, I, I almost doubt this is what it is, but another dumb thing I'd throw at Beefish is in the window, if you go into Windows Sound and then like right click on the thing, this is especially an issue, by the way, with mics. Yep. Um, the format you're sending it in might be some old, compressed, cheap output, like, you know, the, uh, the um i'm forgetting that like the kill bit not kill bit per second really but it might be that but you know like what frequency you're sending the signal in it might be using some old compressed thing and you might need to enable right like that's an issue i've had with my mic that i had an old sure mic where it would just default to this low sample rate 
that's what I was looking for right. for the mic. <laughs> and it would just keep defaulting to it. And I'd have to make sure before I started recording something that I set it to thousands, tens of thousands higher sample rates. And that's a kind of a thing with output as well with an audio is if you're not outputting the high quality rate, then it's going to sound compressed because it is, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, it should. I mean, a Windows. It should. It, it Windows should. defaults to 48K. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to run 44.1 on mine because it's it just it's the old school uh, CD format, you know, and there's not a lot of difference between 44.1 and 48, where 48 is the sample rate that defaults to uh, video, for example, mm-hmm. right? Um but right, and that, I found weird issues rendering videos and exporting them if I don't do 48. Yeah, it's got to be 48, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it shouldn't be. So what was I don't it, think dro- it's what that, was it but... dropping down to, like 22 kilohertz or something? Oh, I don't remember. I, um, I don't remember. It, it, it was. It would have sounded pretty crunchy. <laughs> oh, it did. There's yeah. a, guys, just forgive me with my old Sure mic. Um, you know, this was in 2021. Every now and then there'd be a video where I sound a little robotic. That's why oh, I forgot that, to check that. That's probably, yeah, that has to be the, the driver of the shit. So the Shure mic, you don't have an audio interface. You're plugging that directly in via USB, correct? The USB mm, mic? Uh, the old one, yes. This one, no. This one, I do have an audio. Uh, you have an audio interface. Actually. Okay. And the issue's gone away because it defaults correctly now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would come down to the driver, the quality of the driver. Yeah. yeah. yeah so there you go. <laughs> All right. Tillex100 writes in. He says, when looking at mainboard spec sheets, I always wonder if the advertised sound chips do actually sound different from each other. Should I consider the quality of the sound chip that's included in a motherboard as someone that wouldn't spend extra on a sound card or external equipment? I'm wondering, I, I'm guessing this question for you is a little goofy because you're just always going to do an add-on sound card for most people. But yep. are there things you look for in the integrated sound cards in a motherboard ever that you would say there's a difference between them oh tom i don't even look at the spec you know and i bet you the spec is all very similar to to all of those uh cards and again it comes down to the uh, the dac you know the digital audio converter um look i i haven't looked at the specs of those on board audio cards in you know can't even remember Uh, you know Mm -hmm. I, i use it i use them on my um on my office machine um, and but I, again, that's not that's not a critical right. listening environment for me. So I, uh, not a question I can answer only because it's just the first thing I do with any motherboard. Yeah, you're all or nothing. You're going yeah, for a great I, I, sound card, or it's all junk. Yeah, anyways. I, dis- I disable the onboard uh, except for the laptops, obviously, because we it doesn't give us that uh, capability on uh, modern um, laptop motherboards. Um, uh, sorry, uh, biases. It doesn't allow us to disable the onboard audio. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, then on the laptops, you're listening to the onboard audio through laptop speakers. So it's like, yeah, uh, no. So it's not a question that I'm – only because I'm not really um, – it's not an area that I focus on, unfortunately. Clean Sweep writes in, and he says, hey, Tom and Vin. What kind of audio features would you want Microsoft to integrate into Windows 11 and onwards, both for audio production and consumption? Personally, I would love for Windows audio drivers to have a universal equalizer tuner with a few useful presets like dialogue enhancement. It'd be nice to not have to reinstall Allen 
Bonatti's custom audio drivers just to get those quality of life features every time I update my GPU audio driver. Right. Um, what what kind of features would I like to see? Integrated into Windows integrated? 11, yeah. Well, I mean, Microsoft have never had a universal low latency driver. Uh, not not that it actually not one that actually competes against ASIO. Now, ASIO is a, a protocol, low latency driver protocol that was developed by Steinberg uh, in the late nineties, and it's still the predominant uh, driver. And um, so, where Mac, for example, had Core Audio. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Windows does not have a native low latency driver. I know that's something that Pete um, is on the, I uh, suppose, the agenda or to-do list. I don't know if it'll ever eventuate, but that's something that uh, I, it would be great if they could do it, but I think it's it's too late. Um, the other thing that's actually being implemented is at the, at the API level is actually a MIDI 2. So MIDI 2 is a... a, a um, the the new protocol, the new enhanced protocol for from the MIDI uh, protocol. So, uh, you know, is that a wish? It, that's coming, right? So MIDI two is coming. Um, yeah. But as far as um, audio features with EQs and uh, and what the the other chap was talking about, ah, uh, no, again, no. Not really. You're probably going to end up using custom things, anyways. Yeah. Right, look, so. I mean, I I live in, but any of that type of level of um. Uh, listening or uh, I'm, I'm not in just a standard windows environment i'm in a daw environment so it's it's kind of again it's another difficult question for me to answer i apologize but it's not that, that's not something that um i'm focused on and i don't think it's um it's not something that i necessarily uh, want uh, microsoft to, to comment on. or yeah, yeah or no yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's the rest of the questions. I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to discuss. I mean, you certainly gave us a lot of your time here and we, uh, we got to the core of the thing with Sapphire Rapids. I definitely wanted to cover. Yeah, no, look, I'm fine, Tom. And I look, thanks for having me on. I'm just, I know I kind of, we kind of rabbited on a little bit there. Well, that was actually me rabbiting on, but, um, it was good that we could at least, uh, you know, discuss the, the issue surrounding that release. Uh, yeah, a lot of people at Intel and AMD may not. Their marketing department certainly doesn't want to talk to me, but you know they, uh, the the engineers, a lot more of them than you'd think are listening. Yeah, you know, and so I'm imagining some of them will reach out into the email after this. We'll see. Yeah, well, look, the the thing is, is that if if you're reading between the lines with all of the official documents that got released to the product partners, mm-hmm. um. There was, you know, the elephant in the room emission was where's the listing for the all core turbo? All right. So we, <laughs> I didn't quite, I missed it the first time I read through it. I went, ah, oh, hang on. They don't, they've very specifically not listed the all core turbo. Mm-hmm. And the only, the only time, um, and then they were confronted with it and then they're scrambling around oh, trying yeah. to come up with uh, some, oh, no, that's it. That's it. So, and we've asked a question about, well, how did this guy, uh, how come this undocumented setting in the ASUS motherboard leaves the core multiplier exactly where it is, but um, we're getting the turbo, all-core turbo up above four gigahertz. How, how is that even possible? Right? That's the questions I want answered, you know? And the thing is, is that my, 
concern is that if we push ASES too hard, that they'll they'll delete that they'll delete that um, setting because I don't think yeah. it's it's not it's non-official, right? No, no one's actually admitting that it's even there, which is the most bizarre type of thing. And I, did I send you the? I'm not sure if I sent you the link to that um, that overclocking document. Um, where I actually found out about this hidden setting. If I haven't, I'll send it to you. Uh, Debauer. What was his name? Um, Derbauer. Debauer. Yeah, D-E-R-B-A-U, and then I think there's an A-T-R. There's an yeah, that's there. the one. That's the one. So that that's a pretty um, uh, in-depth uh, article. Um, but he hasn't. There's been no follow-up, which is mm-hmm. interesting. And that was like March, um, April. Maybe I just still find it bizarre that we're in July <laughs> and there is no reviews. Usually, all of these tech sites are all over this stuff, you know. Even well, I'll the- tell you what, I-, I reached out to one of them, I won't say which one, and a person who works there says it mostly comes down to Intel isn't giving them out like AMD when a new Threadripper comes out, they will send Threadrippers to people. Yep. Uh, chips. A- Intel isn't really doing that. And on top of that, Intel's cost more than ever. So if you're a review website, I mean, honestly, it might just be bad business unless you're like enormous to buy like a $10,000 system uh, over doing other videos that cost nothing and will yeah. get you the same amount of clicks. Yeah. Not to mention a lot of them, this person also said they're worried they wouldn't do it proper justice. You know, like they're worried they wouldn't, it'd be such an undertaking that they wouldn't do a good job and it would expose them to looking stupid. So I, I know that's mostly what it is, but I would agree. Like, I'll even just say, I wish like, you know, Hardware Unboxed did extensive Threadripper and extreme um, Intel testing. And I, I wish Hardware Unboxed, Gamers Nexus, come on, man, test Sapphire Rapids. Yeah, Where are yeah, the chips? And, Where and is and the even testing? It, even yeah. if it's just for gaming, tell us, is this yeah. happening? Yep, even our, our friend, uh, you know, starts with an L, you know, that uh, is uh, pretty much self-funded, you know. Oh, yeah, Linus Tech Tips. Yeah, Linus. They could afford to, like yeah, some very in-depth, yeah. Easily, easily. But again, and, think how much effort it would take. How much is this going to cost versus another but video? They, but- rev- they revel in it, Tom. I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen him with his... Um, He's a tech, oh, I know. They have the money. Tech mode. I know. They, yeah, they, they revel in it. So there's something else going on. But um, anyway, we'll see how all this fleshes out. If you get, if you get any um, emails from, um, uh, from the Intel or the ASUS engineer saying, oh, uh, yeah, we're going to be actually resolving this all-core turbo uh, area, that would be nice. Um, I'm not holding my breath. No. Yeah, I, I think... I think we've kind of come to the conclusion the big push is probably going to be the refresh, if I had to guess. <laughs> the re- I think that is my suspicion at this the, point. The refresh. And then we've got the... The Rap- fixed version. We've yeah. got the Raptor Lake refresh coming in October, apparently. That was the new leak this morning. Did you see that one? Well, yeah. It's always going to come out around then, though. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's actually a little later than I would hope if that is when it ends up coming out. But remember, all these CPUs, Raptor Lake, the original Raptor Lake, uh, not the sequel, um, Alder Lake, they all had rumors for when they were coming out and then they typically get moved up or back about a week or two. So I would still just keep it as end of Q3, early Q4. Yeah, Q3. That's stuff's coming out. Well, that's traditionally when they do their releases, you know. Yeah. The, 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 X, the X series releases are always um, end of Q2 or Q3. 
and then they'll, you know, well, some of them edged into Q4, but it's usually in that second half of the year, you know, so there was a three-year cadence, and then it was always in the second half of the year. Um, so, yeah, they're going to get in early for Christmas, I suppose. All right, well, I think on that note, though, I'm going to call it an evening. I guess it's actually noon where you are in the upside yeah, down 12 12 30 the, the wife kind of looked through my office window and just gave me the uh roll of the eyes going are you still talking <laughs> well I'll, I'll, I'll spare you a fight then <laughs> no uh, no, but, no it's okay it's all good but please tell everybody where they can uh find you though because i know you have a podcast and your website so if anyone is interested in what you do they can find uh, you well the podcast is just uh, if you just type in doorbench radio show so d-a-w-b-e-n-c-h radio show or doorbench.com uh, that that that's like a landing page where it just links you to my facebook and the podcast um and the company is avm technology um uh, that's a-a-v-i-m-t.com.au yeah, yeah, yeah that's for the australian um uh, listeners uh, you can actually go check out the website there um but uh yeah that's that's pretty much it i think um yeah, we have covered a lot, Tom. Uh, All right. Well, then let me do my final plugs that I always ramble at the end here. Yes. Remember to subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead. Ring the bell button. Remember to subscribe to Broken Silicon on a podcast app of your choice. Check out our sponsors uh, and do check out the Patreon as well. There's early ad free Broken Silicons, the ability to ask guests. I like Vin here questions. And there's also die shrink videos that are over an hour long every other week just for patrons. You know, you're basically getting either a bonus broken silicon or extended video every other week in addition to and th there's free questions for loose ends the discord there's there's a lot of content out there if you have only you can spare two dollars a month but um otherwise thank you again for coming on vin thank you to everybody for listening and uh i don't know have a good week everybody yep. cheers mike this podcast was brought to you by the youtube channel and website moore's law is dead Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law is Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law is Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, 
much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and Loose Ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Z Jits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Brian Riggleman, Sam Miller, MJB1, Deke, Jeezy Ziggy, SNES Chalmers, Jim Ferriera, Andrew S, Falco Malev, General Drips, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Eric Jackson, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg Wanchek, Chris Rich, Nicholas Buckner, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Jesse Jeskowiak, 3DS Boy08, Hal Buma, Blake, Artforum.com, Franco Frederick, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Jake223, Jake Martin, Zlicky, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, Stephen Hart, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford. Travis Gooding, Nanyan, Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Gross, Stefan, Jordan Simkovic, Amiable Chief, Win Wang, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Julian Leak, I Should, Mark Rademaker, The Boss Haas, James Anderson, Cole Addict, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Meyer Techrance, Reginald Ari, T. Gotham, Jackson Miller, Greg S. Acker, Neith Ruzink, The Eternal Dreamers, JSMMH, Damon Since Reagan, Jeff Sedler, AWS Danny, Loophole 35, Windstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay, Milton, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, McDaffey, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I7, 11700K, Joe Foote, Hardlinch, Slushpaw, Seas 2, Jansen Ngima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Him Sagung, Tails 2299, Brian Wright, John Sifos, Ertoros, The Forbidden Juice, Fenty CZ, Kiko Sato, Toka, RB Racer, Me Valverga, AC, Colin Tedards, Lord Starscream, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Matt, Alex Vega, Free D, John Swin, Ronan BC, Terminal Junkie, Brian Wright, Jed Baldwin, Joe LaMartina, Kikum, Albert Gunn, Solar, Solarized 80, Christopher Ricks, Jamie Whitworth, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>